Hi, and welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spoopy movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Here's Katie. (laughs) And here's Brittany. And this is (laughs) the Grindhouse Girls podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is exciting, friends. Uh, Today, our episode is mainly on Dr. Sleep, but of course, you cannot talk about Dr. Sleep without touching upon one of the greatest scary movies and horror novels ever written, The Shining. Yes, exactly. So, we're kind of doing a double feature, but also, most people have already talked about The Shining. There's like 80 bajillion youtube videos about its secret meanings and there's at least one documentary about it that i've watched but i haven't watched recently but i watched one. Oh, and there's puppies in the background so forgive us if you hear growling uh they're just playing don't worry everyone's fine yes um, but they will be corrected <laughs> they'll take their medicine um so there's a there's a lot of YouTube videos that you can go and spend months of your life trying to figure out what The Shining's about, both the book and the movie. Um, but Doctor Sleep is so much a sequel, like it's more of a sequel than most sequels are. I feel like it's more of a continuation of the story than it is really like a sequel. So we're gonna talk about both of them because you really can't talk about Doctor Sleep without knowing what happens in The Shining and. Um, I've read both the books. Brittany, have you read either of them? I can't remember. I read The Shining years ago, mm-hmm. but I have not read Dr. Sleep. I will say I spoiled some things about the Dr. Sleep novel doing research, though. Okay. I So I have read, I'm pretty sure I finished The Shining, but I read it a long time ago. And, sometimes, and the ending muddles itself with the movie in my brain. But I know what happens in the book versus what happens in the movie. And... I read all of Dr. Sleep and what I did, cause I didn't want to spoil the movie for me. And I knew we were doing it. I had started it a long time ago, got about halfway through Dr. Sleep, the book. It's a very, very long book, by the way. It's very good. I highly recommend it. It's very easy and accessible to read. Like it's very engaging. All of Stephen King's novels are very, very descriptive almost almost overly descriptive but it really pulls you into the story and like I've read um, I'm in the middle of reading Misery I've read The Shining and now I've read Dr. Sleep and Dr. Sleep I finished the movie after I finished I'm sorry I finished the book after I finished the movie so I've read three Stephen King novels and I think Dr. Sleep is just really well done I think and also he was a lot more mature when he wrote Dr. Sleep he wrote it in 2013 and um some of his stories are hit and miss yeah <laughs> like uh <laughs> some are weird uh i also saw dreamcatcher there's a lot of stuff in this that has to do with dreamcatcher ironically a lot of his themes repeat themselves but generally i feel like most of his adaptations are better when he's not as involved with them 
I don't know why, because I don't think he's bad at writing or creativeness, but I think he can't say no to some things that need to be cut out. He's kind of like George Lucas, where yeah. like he needs somebody to be like, yeah, it's a little too silly there, Steven. Like, we need to not do that. So I love that. it. And I think I, I touched upon it before, too. So in it, chapter two, there is a there's a cameo by Stephen King. And of course, um, Bill, you know, uh, stuttering Bill uh, grows up to be a writer. And a lot of people who read it or watch it think that maybe Bill's a stand in for King himself. But they make a they make a joke about how Bill Denborough as a writer does not know how to finish novels. And I'm like, <laughs> holy shit, that is like a it it's thing. It's like Stephen like, King. Yeah, but exactly. I will say the book. I don't want to. I'm not going to spoil the ending yet. We're going to wait till spoilers. But the book version of Doctor Sleep ends way better than the movie version does. Like everything is so neatly wrapped up. And I was like, I'm sorry. Is this a Stephen King novel? Does it actually have a good ending? What? Like I was completely satisfied with the ending. And I honestly think the only reason they changed the ending. And honestly. The book and the movie are super similar until the last third of the movie. Then it kind of splits off into some weird territories. Also, the book makes a whole lot more sense why people know each other. Like, the movie kind of seems random. Um, But I think it's more that they didn't have time to do it. Because they didn't want to make this like a three-hour movie. Um, One thing I can't... You go, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I was like, but both endings are good. I didn't hate one of them versus loving the other one because before I knew how the book ended, I liked how the movie ended. Then I read the book's ending. I was like, oh my God, this is so much better. But it, but not really because like they're both satisfying. So you're not disappointed either way. It wasn't like, I don't know, the first Harry Potter movie where they skipped my favorite event to get the Sorcerer's Stone, which was uh, Snape's potion puzzle. That was my favorite part, and I was so utterly, utterly, as a 12-year-old girl, I mean, I was 13, maybe too old to be disappointed about Harry Potter stuff, but I was so utterly disappointed that they skipped my favorite part, that I was just like, is like, I got over it, but I was pretty upset, because I was waiting for that part, like, I had envisioned it in my brain, how are they going to figure it out? Yeah. Also, that's how Hermione, like, wins, because she's so smart, that she figures out how to what the potions are it's a logic game not a real magic i don't feel like that 13 would be too old because i'm 31 and i get disappointed by things sometimes like in movies and tv shows if they don't go as planned like i'll be honest ladies and gentlemen um when i heard hbo was doing Watchmen mini series i was like fuck yes that's that's what they should have done to begin with because the sax movie too much going on it was really bad yeah exactly like visually stunning um, but when you take an actual graphic novel that's more like a novel of literature and you try yeah. to condense it into a two-hour and 50-minute movie, a lot gets left on the cutting room floor that can't mm-hmm. because it's integral to understanding the plot. Anyways, I was very disappointed at the idea that HBO miniseries would be a sequel. I was wrong, guys. It it was the mm-hmm. HBO miniseries of Watchmen is a beautiful show, and I think it's amazing. But I was initially very disappointed to find out it was a sequel and not an actual adaptation. Yeah, I was a little worried about it. But I ended up really, 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 really liking it. And I think Brittany's the one that was like, oh, you haven't seen it yet? And I was like, no, I was a little nervous to see it. And I ended up, while I was furloughed, like, binging it 
like for a whole day and night when I didn't have to go to bed on time. I just binged it and I loved it. I thought it was really good. And I think Regina King's the main character, right? Yeah. Yeah. I thought she was, I think we may have touched on this, but I may have had to edit it out before, but I absolutely loved it. And I thought it was a great way to, I hope they don't do it the second season because I think the way they ended it was perfect and interesting. Cause I don't really want to know if she has spoilers, spoilers for Watchmen. I don't want to know if she has Dr. Manhattan's powers or not. I don't really want to know. Yeah. I don't. I, I, I like having it a mystery. I, um, and that's my thing. Um, I would love to touch upon with sequels. And I was laying in bed. Um, and I do this sometimes at 1 a.m. Can't sleep. And I nudge my husband. I'm like, you know what I'm thinking about with Dr. Sleep? And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm thinking like I was like, I'm thinking that I enjoy it, but sometimes um I just feel like sequels are unnecessary because I like having some mystery around things and I don't like when too much of the mystery is is it's revealed in yes. a, a sequel. Yes, I agree. Like sometimes they just ruin things. Like I'm trying to think of one oh, okay, so they made a sequel to um the thing. Where they explain everything that happened to the Swedish camp mm-hmm. yes. beforehand. And one is just bad because you don't remake. The thing The thing is a remake. The, the 80s thing is a remake. But you don't remake that remake because it was so perfect. And they use digital monsters instead of practical effects. And it looks stupid. Um, yeah. It looks, I've seen, I haven't brought myself to watch the whole thing. But yeah, like, they just over-explain stuff. And it's like, we don't need to know all this. You're ruining it. Um, Whereas, I feel like books can explain stuff. And I don't know why, and it doesn't annoy me as much. Because there was definitely more explanation in the book of Dr. Sleep than in the movie. But it didn't ruin it for me. It more was like, oh, that makes more sense. Because a lot of it is, and this isn't spoiling anything, but... um, there's like an actual doctor in the book who he is a character. He's a very minor character in the movie, but he's a huge character in the book. Dr. John uh, knows Abra, knows Dan. And when Abra's parents call him, they're like, our kid's doing all this weird telekinetic stuff. We, What's going on? Like, is she like, is she sick? Is she going to do this forever? What's going to happen? And he is like, he does a lot of research and he comes back and he's like, listen, this is not that uncommon. There are kids that this happens to. Usually at about 14 or 15, it peters out. So, you know, keep an eye on her. But it's not dangerous for her to be telekinetic or whatever she is. Have the shining. But basically, like, he offers an explanation that, yes, other people do have the shining. But it usually gets not, it's not as strong when they get older. So it's nothing to worry about. But he doesn't say, like, that he knows why they have The Shining. He's just like, I don't know. It's a mystery. It's weird. But it's nothing to worry about. She's not sick or anything. Which I liked because it was like, oh, so people do have The Shining. The medical community knows about it. But it's something that's inexplainable. So they don't go into further detail. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know, something like crystal healing. Like, I don't believe in it. But some people say they have an effect on them and if they do we don't really know why although i think that's a bad example but i'm trying to think of something else that people just don't know why it works but it does 
Oh, I know, like antidepressants. Like people don't really understand why antidepressants work. Because sometimes it's a chemical thing and sometimes it'll work for you and then it'll stop working and they know it works, but they just don't always know how it works or like what exactly to give you. And it changes with your body chemistry when it changes and you can't always predict when your body chemistry is going to change. So it's like, I liked that aspect, but they didn't over explain like, and it's because it wasn't like midichlorians in Star Wars, which just ruins everything where they're just like, it's little like bacteria in your cells. I'm like, oh, no, no, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. And also, Ian McGregor is also in that scene in that movie. Oh, my God. But he's way better in this movie. Poor Ian McGregor. I love him, by the way. I love Ian McGregor. He is. So good. Also, I think his brother is like a fighter pilot. In, like, I feel the like British Royal Navy. Navy. Right yeah, yeah, or Scottish Navy. I think he's Scottish. I'm sorry. Or Welsh. Oh, Ian McGregor, please forgive me. You're from England somewhere in the, the Isles near England. Britannia. You're near Britannia. We'll just leave it there. But I love him. I loved him from when I was a little girl and watched him in Moulin Rouge before I probably should have. And was like, oh my yeah. god, he can sing and he's beautiful and he was in a star wars movie and then two terrible ones so because I the really, phantom menace is bad i really like him too and he I did know. a really good job in this movie he did and i'm gonna um say something off topic on topic since we broached it earlier um and I think you were talking about how, like, you're like, I enjoyed the movie's ending. And then, like, I read the book's ending and enjoyed the in- uh, book's ending maybe a little bit more. And what I have to say about Mike Flanagan as the director of Dr. Sleep is that I feel this man. Because this man, mm-hmm. probably similar to how I'm sure me and you feel, um, you know, you, you're standing in the shadow of two very great and very different people who took this book and had very different ideas about what the book were. And he somehow mm-hmm. found a way to honor Kubrick's legacy while also satisfying King. And that's a that's a hell of a thing to do. That's yes, I agree. I agree. Yes, absolutely. It And one thing he said was, so this isn't Mike Flanagan. If you don't know who Mike Flanagan is, he directed... I think most people probably saw Haunting of Hill House. It's probably mm. the most accessible thing. Um, it was on Netflix last year or the year before? I feel like it was last year for like the I Halloween think it, season. I think it was the year before that, if you can believe it. Maybe it was. I feel like White Manor was supposed to air this year and COVID pushed things back. Yeah. So he did that. And he is one of those directors that does layer upon layer of beautiful directing. And then he did this beautiful movie, Hush. Um, which actually my friend Rachel that I used to work with told me, she was like, Katie, you like scary movies. You'd actually really like this movie. And I did. Um, and that's actually starring his wife. Kate. Yeah. Oh, no, I can't remember her last name. Uh, Siegel, right? Yeah, you're right. It is Kate Siegel. Thank you. She is also in Haunting of Hill House. She's often in his stuff, as is Henry Thomas, who is in Gerald's Game, which was his first Stephen King adaptation. So this wasn't his first adaptation of a Stephen King novel. I personally really like Gerald's Game, but, and it has a lot to do with, like, the shining, I mean, Dr. Sleep, because it has a lot to do with, like, dealing with childhood trauma and figuring out, like, how to get over that trauma, you know, and recognizing it and accepting it, but moving on from it. And I think that's a really cool thing that he talks about in both of these novels and these movies. Um, 
but it also like I didn't like the ending of Gerald's game because it ends and it's great. And then there's this weird, and I'm not gonna ruin it for anyone. There's just this weird tag on ending with dealing with a very minor plot point in the rest of the movie. And I was just like, what the fuck was this? But it is true to the book. So I'm like, I think he just didn't want to anger Stephen King. Um, because maybe he had his eye on the prize for Dr. Sleep. And he was like, if I don't piss them off with this Netflix movie, maybe he'll let me direct this actually going into theaters movie. And he did. Um, but he did tell Stephen King, he was like, listen, I love your book and I've read it, but I couldn't help but picture Kubrick's Overlook Hotel and his movie when I read your book, because it's such a visual staple in my memory and everyone's memories. And that's why the movie is more of a sequel to The Shining movie than it is an adaptation of Dr. Sleep. But it is a really good adaptation of Dr. Sleep, but it takes a left turn towards the end where it's basically just The Shining part two. Yeah. I do, I do love it, though, because, like, reading about this movie, and I mean, okay, so the thing is, is The Shining, and I don't know if you have these kind of same feelings, so The Shining is one of those movies, I, I really do feel like I kind of know it like the back of my hand. I must have seen it, like, at least 10, 12 times. I've, the first time I, I watched it, I was five years old. Okay, I haven't watched it since I was five, but I think that, I, I definitely saw it as a teenager, at least on television, because my parents knew that I was very susceptible to nightmares and were like, you don't need to see The Shining until you're like 12 or 13. Excuse me. But I did watch The Simpsons episode called The Shining many times yeah. and was like, I have to see The Shining. So when I finally got to see The Shining, I loved it. I absolutely adored it. And I've I used to watch it like every October. Like I've watched it like probably at least once a year for the past 10 years because it is just that good. I remember when I got it on DVD finally when you didn't have streaming and you actually had to watch DVDs and just that opening music that I was yeah. like, oh my God. Which the, they reused doctors- in Dr. Sleep. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. They oh. reused. <laughs> the shot and the music in the beginning of Dr. Sleep and they just color grade it. But it's the same shot. It's the exact same shot. And I didn't find that out until like very recently. But I remember we watched Dr. Sleep in theaters because I was like, oh, fuck yeah. We're we're going to the movie theaters (laughs) for this one. And um, you hear that music. I was like, ah! Like, (laughs) because the music is so synonymous with the film too. Like, I I don't think I can imagine scenes from from that film without hearing the score. Yes. I finally got the, the song that plays it's you in the moonlight and something oh uh the moonlight um wait i I saved it the stars and you yeah i was like that's what that song's midnight the stars and you i'm sorry midnight and the stars yeah by al boley if you ever want to listen to that creepy song um which does make an appearance in dr sleep they do have their own music in dr sleep like they do have score but they reuse a lot of the kubrick music which I appreciated because it is like, and there's, okay, there's weird stuff where they just re reuse sets, but they put a different person in it, but you're basically seeing the same scene, but from a different character's point of view, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but I guess before we get too much into it, maybe we should summarize The Shining. We'll do both of them. So so if, if you know The Shining and Dr. Sleep, 
stay tuned. We're not going to get into spoilers yet, but just so you know what happens in The Shining. Uh, so The Shining is one of Stanley Kubrick's finest films, um, released in 1980, and it follows the Torrance family consisting of Jack, who is a dried-out alcoholic who's trying to become a successful writer after an incident at the college prep school that he taught at, and his wife, Wendy, who is emotionally fragile, and his son, Danny, who is very young and is gifted with The Shining. He has an imaginary friend named Tony who warns him that his father's new job as a caretaker at the Overlook Lodge is going to be a dangerous one and that he shouldn't go. But they go anyways, and both the past and the hotel haunt them until their family falls apart, basically. It's a very good movie. Yeah. It is incredible. It's like one of those movies, so I know like it sounds intense letting a five-year-old probably watch The Shining, but The Shining... It's really, I mean, there is, when you think back on The Shining, there is only one murder in the movie. And what's active, so traumatizing. murder, yes. Yeah. yeah, and the thing that's so traumatizing about that murder is that I think, and sorry, this is a spoiler alert for a movie that came out 40 years ago now. Um, you see Danny's face just frozen in the scream, and it's the music that's playing. And so mm-hmm. you're feeling like Danny's trauma from the yep. scene rather than the actual violence of the murder. And I think that's what makes it so shocking. Um, and so as a child, there's a lot of scary moments, but it's not like gruesome, horror, slasher yeah. scary. It's a it's psychological more like creepy visuals because um, there's a lot of like just creepy visuals. Like I think everyone's seen the bear fellatio picture um pretty funny now people like to make memes out of it um somebody made a meme out of it with some of my favorite people from red letter media (laughs) they put their faces in it and it made me really laugh (laughs) and i think i saved it i think i i think i might have like put somebody else's face in it because it was so funny but uh there's that scene which is never explained and it's the only ghost that doesn't make a reappearance in Dr. Sleep, the bear. Okay. So this is what's what's weird. So there is a ghost in the original novel that dresses up like a dog. And Mm -hmm. the big thing is that fans like of the movie are like, why did Kubrick change it to a bear? Like, (laughs) because it was creepier. That bear face was creepy because it's almost like a cartoon face. But that is kind of what Halloween costumes look like in the 50s. So like probably what it was. But yeah, it was really creepy. Um, Yeah, The Shining, and I have read the book, and so there is a lot of stuff changed in the movie versus the book, which is why the ending of Doctor Sleep has to change so much. Because the ending of Doctor, well, I won't spoil it yet, but um, basically in The Shining, Jack, now, okay, and I'm trying to, like, discern what's from the book and what's in the movie, because I was re-watching the movie, and I was like, oh, that part, they don't say that part. Like, the thing about... What happened in his college prep school is not really that you know something happened because he's like, oh yeah, I don't teach anymore, and it's like alluded to that something happened at the prep school that Jack was teaching at, but he doesn't really explain it out loud. But what happens in the book is that he 
beats up a student, I think. After, like, I can't, like, it was like. He, like, punches him in the face or something, Yeah, he punches he? a student in the face, which is why he gets fired. But they go much more into Jack's alcoholism, all the benders he went on, the possibility that he maybe killed somebody in a drunk driving incident or his friend was driving. I can't remember if him or his friend was driving, but they may have been responsible for somebody's death in a drunk driving accident. Um, the fact that he doesn't remember if he's cheated on his wife or not, like, because he's such a blackout drunk and like his struggle with loving his family. And I noticed when I watched the movie this recently that Jack is such a villain from almost from the first moment that yeah. it's not so much the first moment you meet him, but the first moment he's in the car with his family, he just seems annoyed. And in the book, it is so not like that. He actually is trying to get better for his family. He's trying so hard. Where in the movie, he's almost just annoyed with them. And I th- maybe it was because they were afraid that uh, it's such a short movie that they couldn't build the tension. So they decided to make him like an annoyed alcoholic from day one. But the book, the thing the book does really well is it really um, explains Jack's psychosis and his psychology, as well as Wendy's, which barely gets explained in the movie, and Danny's. And you get everybody's point of view in the book, which is what I love. Especially Wendy, because Wendy, no offense to Shelley Duvall, I think she's really great in the movie The Shining, but she's kind of like a frail person in the movie. Yeah. Whereas in the book, they explain like she had a terrible relationship with her mother. So she moved from her mother to Jack almost to get away from her mother. And instead of just being like, oh, yeah, there was this little incident where, like, he pulled Danny's arm too much and he broke it. She's like, no. She has come apart in the doctor's office about it because it was such a stressful time. But, like, in the movie The Shining, she kind of, like, is like, oh, it's fine. And I'm like not fine if your husband yeah. breaks your kid's arm most mothers wouldn't react that way she like pushes it I, down i feel bad because i'm sure you've read this too it's like i heard shelly duvall like had like kind of a mental breakdown there in the filming of the shining because kubrick is fault. yeah kubrick was a very method director and it kind of like even though and i feel like this is where you start to separate like okay like kubrick's a genius and his movies are incredible but he still mistreated his actress in this movie he made uh hitchcock hitchcock did the same thing to some of his actors too yeah i know the staircase scene i think they shot it 170 times and it really bothers me Every time I watch this movie, I feel like every single person I ever watch it with is like, Wendy is so fucking annoying. And I'm like, she is literally a woman on the verge of a mental breakdown because that is what he wanted out of her as an actress. And she is living that mental breakdown. He treated that poor actress like she was shit. And like, and that's why like, I actually, I think her performance is great in the movie. I don't think she's annoying. But it was so interesting to me that Shelley Duvall is like this frail, almost mousy kind of character. Not that the person is, but the way they portray her, like the costume her, the way they make her. Like she's so, she's like an ex-cheerleader in the book. Like she's like blonde and vivacious and gorgeous and she's like a catch. But she just happens to be married to a guy who has abuse problems. And, but she's not also, she gave him an ultimatum. Yeah, in the book like she was like either you stop drinking or I'm gone and in the movie they're very specific to say 
he told me that if I start drinking again, you can leave me. Like, he has to give her permission. So he's much more controlling in the movie. Which, again, makes Jack less of a human and more of a villain. Yeah. Which, I think the only time I ever see tenderness from Jack Nicholson's character in the movie is that part where he's, like, sitting in his bed and Danny comes up to him. He's like, you'd never hurt us, right, Dad? And he's like, no, I'd never hurt you. That's the only time I ever feel like he's human in the movie. So while I really love the movie The Shining, it's really great. And it's the book is so much more of a descent into madness and the yeah. total dissolution of this family. And I, it's it's much more interesting in the book to read about what's going on in everybody's brains. Yes, it's a lot longer than the movie. And there's there's some silly stuff in the book, too. I mean, we can talk about the hedge animals the topiary animals instead of a hedge maze. They actually yep. move and they made a mini series out of this that was true to the book. But I've seen the scenes with the hedge animals, the topiary animals. It's not scary. It's funny. And I'm glad he made that decision to change it to a hedge maze because that was way better. So a lot yeah. of things he did was better. But, but the casting... I, yeah. The casting was so weird, and it's like, so first off, I do want to give props to the child actor who played Danny, because he is fucking amazing, and you didn't, I didn't, Lloyd, I think is his name, yeah, I think his name was Danny Lloyd, because I think his name was Danny, like Danny, like Danny, um, but he, supposedly, they did not, he did not know for years that he was filming a scary movie, Kubrick took really good care of him as a child actor, and explain things in such a way that he didn't realize he was filming a scary movie, so I, I don't know how you can be screaming, like that and not yeah. know you're filming a scary movie but you know it's it so what scary it is. in that movie that little boy is like the scariest part next to jack nicholson he's literally honestly. foaming at the mouth in one scene like he's having a seizure and i'm like but he didn't realize yeah. what was going on okay well, i guess because he was um, brushing his teeth maybe like he did that also he makes a cameo in dr sleep too he's at the baseball game he's at the baseball game i was like ah, good for apparently nobody else wanted to make a cameo i think jack nicholson is officially retired from movies and they didn't even bother asking him but a lot of other people are just like eh, it's fine i don't want to be in it i was like maybe because they were scarred for life from Q- yeah kubrick kubrick yeah however you say his last name kubrick yeah now i did i thought it was interesting i think part of the reason um so many people were irritated with the uh, movie adaptation is because, you know, Jack Nicholson, it wasn't fresh, but I think at that point he was really known in his career for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. And so there was already this idea, like the first time you see Jack Nicholson, you're like, that that guy looks crazy. And you're not supposed to feel that way about Jack Torrance. You're supposed to think of him as a normal kind of family man. Right. And that's what makes this heartbreaking and his descent into madness. But you see Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson in that first scene and he has those crazy eyes. <laughs> I know. And I like that's what I think it was actually the nostalgia critic did a review of the miniseries. And I mean, say what you want about the nostalgia critic. I'm certainly not saying he's the best critic on the internet. That's not true. But he pointed out at the end of his review that the one thing the miniseries did better than the movie was that they actually developed Jack's character. Not Jack's character. <laughs> no, it's Jack. I get so... Everyone's first name is their character's first name, and oh, it's so weird. Anyways, but Jack like, actually has a development. I think it's Stephen... Oh, what is his name? He's in a lot of stuff. Stephen... Oh... 
what is his name? It's gonna drive me crazy. Steven Weber, who's been in a ton of stuff, did a lot of TV. Steven Weber plays Jack. And they actually, like, develop his character. Now, sometimes, apparently the miniseries, there's a lot of scenes of him and Wendy just having, like, marriage talks, which are kind of boring. Um, and again, the topiary maze, the topiary animals are not scary at all. But in the book and the movie, and honestly in Doctor Sleep, the place, the Overlook Hotel, is the villain. And it physically attacks the Torrances. But in the movie, they focus so much on the Grady family incident with the little girls getting murdered. And Grady's almost the guy who's trying to make Jack crazy. And it isn't toward, until towards the end of the movie when Jack gets locked in the freezer and they all come and unlock it for him that he like that it's the whole hotel going after them. It's like so slow. But in the in the book, like it's very obvious that it's that place the overlook is an evil place and the ghosts are there because they're evil. I guess the late the Mrs. I think Mrs. Maury, I think. Mrs. Massey. Massey. Massey, thank you. Mrs. Massey is maybe in the exception. But I feel like they focus so much on the Grady incident. Like that's the only thing that they're told when they start. He's like, hey, by the way, somebody killed their family a few years ago. It was a little creepy. Please don't do that again. But, like, they don't really go into the fact that the whole place is just, like, evil central. Yeah. But that's very important to the book and kind of Dr. Sleep because the whole reason the truth... Well, I'll I'll go into it more when we go. We can I don't know. We'll we'll do Doctor Sleep and then we can go into like what happens in the book versus the movie just in case people want to read the book, I guess. I don't want to spoil too much. Yeah. I will say this so I also I thought a few uh a few notes on The Shining before we dive in deep into Doctor Sleep, which is the the true the true movie. Get get a high to that of Yes. <laughs> of this podcast. It's, the, um, it's not the true the wait. The Shining <laughs> is not the true movie. There you go. Uh, it's let's 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 correct this. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, there was something child that, abuse. I, I know it's not it's funny. So funny. It's, it's, not it's, funny. Not. it's just the way he's like, and I corrected them. Yes. And then I corrected her. Yes. I forget okay. about that part. Um, okay, Satan. <laughs> I am like, oh, jeez, what the fuck's wrong with you? But, uh, of course, like, you know, I, I, you know, it's like the original, like, well, actually, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, creepy kids in movies were, like, a thing. And I guess they still are to a lesser degree nowadays. But the first time, like, I'm watching this as an adult, and uh, Danny is like, Tony, the little boy who lives in my mouth. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how did they not laugh at that? Which, in the book, Tony is actually an imaginary friend that he no. sees as a person. So this is this is me. So I actually years ago I did see the mini series and this mm-hmm. this ending stuck with me and I actually went back and reread this little portion in the book. So Tony in the book is the fifteen year old Danny. Mm. And so in the mini series they do that because you see like you see Tony in the mini series like he talks to Danny like he's an actual person yeah. and at the end you see Danny graduate high school and it's Tony. I think they they rectify that actually in dr sleep yeah because they do say he's, he's not no 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 he's not danny yeah i mean he might look like danny but he's not danny in yeah. the dr sleep because they go oh. much more into tony 
in the book. Yes. Yeah. Because. Oh, is this. Okay, well, here. Right, spoilers for Dr. Sleep, the book. Sorry, the guys. Not the movie, because they ignore this. Um, in the book, Tony is Abra's imaginary friend. And uh-huh. she thinks Danny is his dad. So he might look like Danny, but he's not Danny, if that makes sense. Yeah, and see, in the book, um, there's a scene where it's like he... Because you see, like, Danny sees Tony in shadow. And then he sees him, and they call him, like... He's like, he realized it was a halfling of Jack, blah, blah, blah. And so a lot of readers have taken it that you find out that Jack's age, and this freaks me the fuck out, uh, Jack's age in the novel is 30, which is younger than me and you, which just freaks me out. But that's besides the point. But yeah, right around our age, I'm like, oh. Yeah, you're just like, oh, shit, we could be the protagonist of The Shining. It explains why Wendy got married so young, though. If, If she's only 30, she might be like 28. Because I think she's a little younger than Jack. But it explains yeah. more why they have a terrible marriage. Because not they don't have a terrible marriage. But why they have a rough marriage is because, like, they got married real young. Yeah. And they had and they had Danny pretty young, too. But yeah, because he's 10 of... in the book? I think is he's he five. Is he, he might five? be five. You might be right. He might be five. Yeah, he's pretty young. Yeah. Like, I have a really hard time telling the age. No, I think it is. Well, I think it is five, at least in the movie. I don't, I can't remember in the book, but in the movie, because I'm pretty sure Rose says when you were five, this happened. Or or Dan says it in Dr. Sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's in the AA meeting. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the book. So Dr. Sleep, like, I don't know if it's undoing stuff or if I'm just misremembering the book, The Shining, because it has been several years since I read it. Um, whereas I just finished Dr. Sleep last week. By the way, even though I've watched the movie twice now, the book was a lot more resonant in my memory for some reason. And that's what, um, so a very basic premise of the Dr. Sleep <laughs> as, uh, as, as the uh, Dr. How as appropriate. The Dr. Coco lays near me. Yeah, because there's a cat. A cat plays a big part. In, well, he's not as big in the book, but he, he does make an appearance in the movie. Yes, and it's adorable. The name is the the real cat's name is Bonkers. And what's her what's her name in the in the book? Azriel. Oh, Azzy. Like, That's what they call like, her. Yeah, which is a god of de- something. It's a god's name, but also I'm pretty sure the cat in the Smurfs is called Azriel. Which made me laugh because I was like, this like the Smurfs. I love the kitty cat in the movie because she has, like, the cutest little face. So she's, like, a white kind of kitty with, like, blue eyes. And she's just, like... She's, um... I feel like she's either the music team's cat or... She's, like, one of the cast, like, the crew members' cat. Aww. And, uh, like, her name is... His or her name is Bonkers. And apparently Mike Flanagan called her Bonkers the Death Cat on set. As a joke. (laughs) So, okay, anyways, yes. back to Dr. Sleep. Brittany, take yes. it away. So after a traumatic childhood experience, Dan Torrance tries to hide his shine through alcohol and a drifter lifestyle. However, when he finds his gift brings comfort to dying patients, he learns to live a quiet and unassuming life until a young girl with powers even greater than his requests his help in overthrowing the true knot, a group of immortals who feed off children who have the shine. And that's that's kind of the premise. So we are living in a world with Dan slash Danny Torrance, 
Um, this is probably taking place about, I would say, 35, 40 years after the events of The Shining. Yeah. The um, main events take place during 2011. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, of course, like, um, because the book was released in 2011, the movie was released in 2019, uh, we've, we've upped the years. So, the, mo- the book takes place in 2011, and the movie takes place in 2019. And I heard 9-11 has a pivotal part in the book that does it in the movie. Yes. And they okay. do it tastefully. In the book. So basically the book, which I'm probably just going to be like, in the book, this happens. Because I finished the book and I really liked it. Um, In the book, the way they, the first thing that happens with Abra when she's a baby, who's the girl who has the gift, um, is she starts crying the night before September 11th, on September 10th, 2001. That's like, she's a baby. Like she was just born. And she just will not stop crying. And nothing anybody does will make her stop crying. They go to the hospital. There's nothing wrong with her. And she will not stop crying. And then as soon as, like, the events of September 11th happen, she stops crying. So she predicts September 11th, basically. So, But, I mean, she's a baby, so she couldn't tell anybody. She just was crying. And they were like, what the hell's wrong with her? So... Um, also, Avra's grandmother plays a huge role in the book, and I was very sad that she wasn't really in the movie at all. They just mention her vaguely. I was very sad because she's a huge part, and she's a very interesting character in the book. Yeah, and um, this is really stupid, but I was off note. All I could think of when I heard Abra's name, I was like, did they name her after a Pokemon? And then now I'm like, I <laughs> <laughs> I apparently it wasn't supposed to, like, Stephen King kind of accidentally named her Abra, like Abracadabra. Like, it wasn't really on purpose. He said it was a happy accident, which I believe him. Even after, even now that he's sober, like, I feel like he just kind of rolls the dice sometimes. Which yeah. is one of the reasons I like Dr. Sleep so much. It does touch on this in the movie. It really does. Um, but the book is much more in-depth about the process of getting clean and fighting addiction and AA and Stephen King was an alcoholic when he wrote, he's still an alcoholic, but he's a recovered alcoholic now, but he was an active alcoholic when he wrote The Shining. And that's one of the reasons why he wrote it was because he was kind of in the throes of alcoholism. And he has a really good, not forward, but afterwards. <laughs> I'm so stupid. Not forward, but afterward. He has like a, like a post book in the audio book where he actually talks and he's like, I was a well-meaning alcoholic when I wrote the shining and as a recovered alcoholic, I really want to have Dan heal in this book. And he really does. Dan makes a huge journey. And this is the reason why I like the book's ending better is because Dan has a full story. And I think they sell him short in the movie, although it is a good ending um, because in, if you, since we were past The Shining, spoilers to The Shining, in the book The Shining, there's a theme of the boiler room throughout the book. And they mention it vaguely in the movie. They're like, oh, I gotta go check on the boiler room. But it's not really that big of a deal. The boiler room um, plays a pivotal role in the book because if you don't change something on it, if you don't fix something it's like you have to like switch which rooms are being heated which one to alternate if you let it go too long it will catch fire because it's really old and the whole place will burn down 
And that's what happens to the Overlook at the end of The Shining book is that Jack, in the miniseries, Jack, because he has fully gone insane, forgets to fix the boiler. And Danny tells him, as he's as he's chasing him down, with not an axe, but a croquet mallet is what he chases them with in the book, which is silly. The axe was much better. Um, but he... <laughs> He uh, tells him my. She, he does the same thing Aber does in this book and he go, in this movie and goes, "You don't know my dad because the the hotel is possessed him by this point." And he's like, "My daddy forgot to change the boiler room," and then like the whole place like blows up and Jack perishes with it, which is great and fitting because in the book, the, that's how it ends. In the movie. Dr. Sleep, it's like they felt, I think, I think they were trying to apologize because, you know, Stephen King infamously hated the Kubrick version of The Shining. He hated it. And I can understand where he's coming from because he worked really hard to build these characters. And Kubrick was just like, oh, hey, Mabel. Mabel's hanging out with Brittany. Hey, Mabel. Um, in the book, he, he worked so hard to, like, build these characters and really explore them. And in the movie, it's just kind of like, Jack's crazy. Wendy's fragile, and Danny's a psychic. Oh my god! And that's just like it's very like short and to the point. And then the the ho- evil hotel doesn't even get destroyed in the end. And that was like a very cathartic ending. And that's why they have it at the end of Doctor Sleep. Not to spoil the ending, but I think we're already in spoilers here. Yeah, exactly. And I read an interview with Stephen King that I really liked, where he goes, or it may have been actually like an interview where it was like a like he was speaking it wasn't even i was reading it and he said um at the end of my novel the overlook burns at the end of kubrick's film the overlook freezes and i feel like that was the different in our differences in our personalities and i'm like it makes so much sense on how these two men who are both geniuses in their own right just kind of took this material um and i i feel like the shining is very interesting the shining is something we could talk about all day and um (laughs) Especially all the conspiracy theories about it. Oh yeah, definitely all the conspiracy theories. But it's very interesting to see a movie that is literally... I mean, you can ask any movie critic and you'll always see The Shining on their top ten list. Like, it's just one of those movies. Like, people who love cinema love this movie. And then you have people who love Stephen King and it's almost always The Shining is his number one book. It's always The Shining or It is yeah. like Stephen King's top book. Although, honestly, I like Dr. Sleep better than The Shining. I think really? it's, a, it's a much better... I like Danny as a character. I think Danny... I mean, Dan. He's Dan in the book. But I like him and he goes way more complete. He just has such a beautiful journey in the book. And which is why I like... I love Dr. Sleep. I think it's a great movie. I think you should totally see it. Ian McGregor plays Dan... He shines. <laughs> he shines. Um, he really does. He's so good. And he's so convincing as Dan. Like, not, not a lot of people can do good. Like, if you're British, it's, sometimes it's hard to do an American accent. Um, and vice versa. A lot of American Americans more often have a hard time sounding actually British. But uh, I, the friend I was talking, I was telling him about Fifty Shades. I was telling him how I think the movie... Jamie Dornan's not very good in Fifty Shades, not because he's a bad actor, because Jamie Dornan is a very good actor. If you've seen The Fall, it was on Netflix with him and Jillian. Um, oh, what's her last name? Jillian. Mm, she's from The X Files. 
Oh, Anderson? Yeah, Jillian Anderson. Okay. Um, it's it, He plays a serial killer. <laughs> it's not really a spoiler because you find out very early that he's a serial killer. He plays. He's kind of like a Dexter-like serial killer. He has a normal family life, but he's killing people. He's, he's much less likable than Dexter, though. But he's super charming and super, like, sensual and stuff. And he's, like, sexy. And you're like, ooh, yes, Jamie Dornan, yes. Mm. And he's really, really good. He has a lot of... Um, what am I trying to say? He has a lot of like charisma. No, he just like he's mm, variation, I guess, in his character. Like he's a lot of depth, and yeah, he has a lot of depth and variation in his acting abilities in that television show. I think the reason he was so weird in the Fifty Shades trilogy, other than the fact that it's just a terrible trilogy that should have never been made. Sorry, it's just awful. I'm sorry. I know a bunch of people are gonna hate me because I have friends that are like. Don't you dare besmirch it. It's not very good. There's not much of a plot at all. I don't care that they're having sex. Good for them. I'm bored. Anyways, I feel like the eighth sex scene, I'm like, oh, I'm going to fall asleep. This is just the same people doing the same thing over and over again. It's boring. Anyways, uh, but Jamie Dornan is like trying to do an American accent and he's Irish and he just seems so impersonal and cold and not charming at all because he's like, Miss Anastasia Steele, will you please come with me and I will spank you so hard. You will feel it in your vagina. So, like, like he's just like, he's just like so unnerving. But Ian McGregor has such a good American accent. And I forgot that he was British for a second. He's not British. I feel like he's. Scottish and I'm I'm definitely like insulting him I'm sure but Ian McGregor is so 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 good at his American accent he so just becomes the character of Dan like oh he is Scottish by the way he's Scottish I was right the first time thank god Woo, Scottish but he's just so good at being Dan and he just like embodies that character so well and I love seeing him as Dan like I think he was the perfect choice and I mean, I think from the moment I saw the first trailer with him in it, I was like, I'm excited. I like Ian McGregor. And he's such a good actor if he's given the right role. I think he's done some really weird movies like Star Wars where he's kind of almost mis... I don't know if he's miscast or if that that dialogue's just terrible in the prequels. I'm sorry. It's just cheesy. And I love you, George Lucas, but it's terrible. Um, You know, and he's just kind of like silly and like too like jokey like he's obi-wan kenobi he's like hey, hey. i'm like gonna wink and a nod and i'm like oh no please god no um but he's so good in this and i i want him to do more stuff like this because he's just so good at this and um, i still haven't uh, seen train spotting but i really want to see it now because uh, train spotting is a classic um i love the it baby scene freaked me out and i'm afraid to watch it i love it. it is such a good movie you know for a minute i literally i if you had brought up train spotting i'd be like holy fuck of course he's scottish because train spotting is because they're all scottish <laughs> um but there's a lot of good actors in train spotting that uh, are in stuff now that i, I was believe, like fuck you were in train spotting i believe ed mcgregor is also the lead in big fish and which is, is yes. a movie and of course big fish was filmed in my um quasi hometown of wetumpka alabama so yes yeah. Also, weirdly enough, Jamie Dornan was on the first couple season or the first season of Once Upon a Time, that Disney 
ABC oh, yeah, show. That's and Robert right. Carlyle, who's in Train Spotting, played uh, Rumpelstiltskin in that. Oh, that's right. I completely yeah. forgot about that. I've only seen like the first two seasons once upon a time. <laughs> I, me too. I really liked it. And then when they did, they did like a time shift, and I was like, just done. I was like, I don't like time shifts. They did that in Desperate Housewives too, and it was kind of okay, but I was just like, eh. They did it in a lot of shows. They did that in Jane the Virgin too, um, which yeah, again, that's when I lost. I lost interest. Well, also because they killed my favorite character. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, bunch of bullshit, Jane. I'm just kidding. I think it's a great show. Totally watch Jane the Virgin. It's really good. It is um, a good. Just show. know that it's making fun of telenovelas. So, oh yeah, you don't think that. They're being like it is a silly storyline, like it's really out of nowhere. But they're making fun of telenovelas, so you can be like, if you've ever seen a telenovela, which I haven't seen a ton, but I've seen enough that I'm like, yeah, this is you are right on point because they just go from zero to a hundred real yeah, fast, real quick. Love it. Yes. But, um, but yeah, I guess we should talk a little bit about Doctor Sleep. Uh, and specifically, uh, so I had to say very first thing off in the beginning. So um, it was really weird. So what I saw in theaters, I was like, yeah, these actors look a lot like the original actors, like Shelley Duvall. And then I watched it again, like back to back. And I was like, okay, like there is definitely differences. Mm-hmm. But holy shit, the girl who plays, um, the girl who plays Wendy. Wendy, her name is Alex Esco. She had her speech pattern down to a T. I know. It was so weird. But in a good way. Like, yeah. I think the first full scene I saw of Dr. Sleep was the scene where she runs up to Danny yes. in the park. And I was like, oh, my God, did they? what did they do? Travel back in time? And they're yeah, like, oh, she, it's a different it's like, actress. It's, it's exactly to a T sounds like her because she's like, Danny, don't you ever scare me like that ever again. It's like no, something I was, about the rise of her voice when she hits yeah. certain notes. I was like, holy shit. It's like listening to Shelley Duvall. <laughs> and the guy yeah. that played Dick Holleran... Holleran, Holleran, Hollerhan, uh, also, like, did really good. Also, the guy that plays the bartender and Jack in the flashbacks is Henry Thomas, who mm-hmm. was Elliot in E.T., but he was the dad, the younger version of the father in Haunting Girl. of Hill House, and he was yeah. also the father in flashbacks in Gerald's Game. Yeah. So he works a lot with Mike Flanagan and he's, I really like him as an actor. I think he's great. Um, I'm glad he's getting into more stuff because I feel like I didn't see him in anything for years. I didn't even know he was still acting. And then I saw him in Gerald's Game and was like, wait, that's the kid from E.T.? And he's such a good job. He's such a creepy person in Gerald's Game. He's yeah, a he nice is. person in Haunting of Hill House. So he's got some range. Oh, that's the word I was thinking of before. Range. That's what I was thinking of for Jamie Dornan. Um, but yeah, and Henry Thomas, like, he actually, like, watched uh, videos of Jack Nicholson over and over again so he could get his body language. And he is unrecognizable. I don't know yeah. what they did with the makeup with him, but he... I feel like because I've seen him in so many things recently, I I knew that he was in this movie, but I didn't know who he was playing. And I was like, where's Henry Thomas? Like, I thought he was in this movie. Maybe he's just like a cameo. And then I went back and they're like, yeah, he plays the bartender and Jack in flashbacks. I was like, what? No, but they did such a good job with his eyebrows and his profile. I don't know if they gave him a prosthetic or if it was like, or maybe his profile just looks like that. And I just haven't noticed it because he has hair usually. Yeah. 
The hair is perfect on, perfectly spot on, too. Yes, the hair, yeah, really good. Because, like, Jack Nicholson wasn't... Although it's a little balder than Jack Nicholson was when he did The Shining. Because he has a little more hair in The Shining than he does now. But I think... I think they want it to age him a little bit. Like, it's a little bit different, but not a lot different. I think they kind of merge the two characters together a bit. Um, but that would make sense because it's in Danny's mind. It's not real, you know? Well, it is real, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and the dialogue they use is still so natural. Um, mm-hmm. Because I feel like with Jack and the Shining, there is, like, this... Uh, it, Spoiler alerts for Bojack Horseman, but Bojack's dad is very much like I should. I should have been this writer, like, and you know, and that's the thing you run into Jack a lot too, where Jack is like, oh, but he doesn't say it like this, but basically he's like, I could be a great writer, but my fucking wife and kid keep interrupting me. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I and know he, that scene where he yells at Wendy the first yeah. time is only forty-five minutes into that film. Yeah. And the movie's an hour and 40 minutes. So it's only a third of the way into the film. No, me, and I didn't realize that until recently. So get this. The Shining's like two hours and 40 minutes. And Doctor Sleep is like two hours and 38 minutes. Like, yeah. they feel like they go faster. But they are, they're almost three-hour movies. Yeah. Well, I looked down because I was like, man, he's such an asshole. And I looked down at the time and I was like, it's only 45 minutes where he first freaks out at her? Like, that's working quick. Because in the book... It takes a while for the the overlook to really creep into Jack. Yeah. Because so, he fights it for a long time. Um, and so I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, so in the in Doctor Sleep, I think let me get my notes out. Some of my favorite parts was the casting of Abra. I think that little girl was her name. The actress, her name is blah blah blah. Kylie. Kylie Curran, or Curran, it could be Curran, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name again, but she was so good in this movie, and I found it really interesting because I read the book, and Abra, by the way, in the book, completely different looking, like completely a different kind of person. She's blonde hair, blue-eyed little white girl, and there's, okay... There's a weird thing because Stephen King keeps mentioning how her her Momo, her great grandmother, and her mom are Italian, and they keep joking about being Italian like the entire book. And I don't know if Stephen King's Italian, but the first couple times I was like, okay, nice character development. The grandma, the great grandmother, grew up in Italy and then moved here when she was young. Cool. But then he just kept joking about them being Italian like throughout the entire book, and I was like. Does it matter that they're Italian? I really, I feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't know if he just wanted to add, like, people that had some kind of, and again, this was in 2011, so maybe he was just trying to be more inclusive or something, but it almost made it seem like, I don't know, it just seemed weird. Like, the first couple times it was fine, I was just like, okay, I get it, they're Italian, I don't care, like, it's fine, and they could be kangaroos, and I wouldn't care, like... I just want to read the book, Stephen. But so Abra's like blonde hair, blue eyed, and her dad is blonde hair, blue eyed, and her mom's Italian. And I think in the movie, he must have just casted the best girl that could act because it doesn't really matter that she's white or black or Italian. That's what I was trying to say. It's like, it doesn't matter, which is why it weirded me out that he was so into it. Because like, I, it did, I was like, oh, because they start talking about, because I had read half the book, watched the movie. And so of course I had the actress 
who plays Aber in the movie in my head. And then they go to the the true notter trying to find Abra's picture in her yearbook because they're trying to figure out who she is because they don't know what she looks like. And they're like, oh, this blonde hair, blue eyed girl. And I was like, that must be your friend. And they're like, that's Abra. And I was like, oh, I forgot she's like blonde and blue eyed in this. But it's not really a big point. But there's a lot of changes like that where like, it doesn't matter what she looks like. Just, you know, cast the best person for the yeah. job. And like, I read about the, her casting process. So I think they auditioned 500 girls for Abra. And they got it down to their top 11. And they had those girls read with Ewan. Ewan and um, and then she read, Kylie read. And she was so good that even Ian was like, uh, she's the winner, right? Like, she's going to be the one you cast. So it, him and her yeah. had the best chemistry. She's so good. I think she's amazing. And I just, like, I love... It's like the invitation. Like, I don't care what people look like. Just cast them if they're good at their part. I was about to say, in today's world, there's app... Unless you're doing, like, something historically, like, fictional. Like, there is no excuse in today's world. Yeah. That's why, like, I'm... I was... I hadn't gotten to... I couldn't find the information on how they did the casting process. But I was like, oh, he must have just casted her and then cast the parents based on what she looked like. Mm -hmm. Because... Oh, also, in the book, her dad does not die in the book. Nobody yep. dies in the book except for her great grandmother. That's good. Yeah, and, and they're not <laughs> what they're not and, good though. They're bad I know. people. Oh, in the book. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. And then and this well, is well in Bradley. Bradley. Yeah, and there wasn't a Violet at all. My mom, the first thing she texts me when she watches Doctor Sleep's like, "Poor Violet," and I forgot about her because I had watched the movie, but oh. I was finished the book afterwards. When I was rewatching like, the movie for the podcast, my mom literally was sitting there and she goes. Because that's not every parent's worst nightmare. And I'm yeah. like, I told her, I was like, Mom, I'm going to warn you. There's a scene later in the movie. But they got an Academy Award nominated kid to to do the scene. So it's acting. Like, it's kinda... They had to, like, restructure that scene. Like, re-edit it several times to make sure it wasn't too awful, but awful enough. I heard um, Rebecca Ferguson, who, of course, to me is is incredible. She's so good. And I'm like, have I yeah. not seen her in more stuff? Because uh, I think she's so good. Yeah, because that's actually, and I, I will admit, I haven't read Dr. Sleep, but I know a lot of things researching Dr. Sleep. Uh, and uh, one of the things I've read a lot was that Rose is, to a lot of people, very flat in the novel. And Rebecca brought so much life to that character in the movie. Uh, I mean, I don't think she's flat, but I think I was probably envisioning Rebecca Ferguson's version of Rose when I was reading it because she's not she well okay because I read so I read the opener before like the, there's a pro there's a lot of parts to Stephen King novels by the way Stephen King doesn't write very traditionally if you've ever read one of his books I didn't really realize this until recently but like he has like eight different parts and they all have chapters and the chapters all have chapters and it's very long like I kept going like 10 and then they would say something and then I'd be like oh so that was chapter 10 and they'd be like chapter 16 and I was like what is going on and again like I was listening to half of it audiobook so like I wasn't I didn't know how it was structured I was just like I'm so confused but um I read the first part and one of the weird things that's different is that so the character of Snakebite Andy who's played by Emily Allen Lind um, the very young member of the True Knot, she's 36 in the book. And it takes place in the 80s, and she's with them for decades. 
Um, and she, I'm pretty sure, because again, this was the part I read months ago and then went back to read later. And I haven't, I can't remember. I couldn't find anything online to tell me that I didn't have to pay for. Um, I'm pretty sure she and Rose have a romantic interlude. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, I don't know why they had to make her 15 in the movie. It seemed kind of weird. It's such an age difference, but maybe they just really liked that actress. And they were like, you look too young to be a 36 year old. I thought maybe also because um, I tend to know this when there's, so as we know, Stephen King novels are so expansive that you, whenever yeah. you make a film adaptation, something's getting on the cutting room floor. And many I know in the, things. Many, <laughs> yes, yes. I know in the Doctor Sleep book, there's members of the True Knot that actually look like children. And I was wondering if they were taking elements of that. Maybe, maybe. Although they don't really get into that because most of them are like middle-aged because they specifically say that because when her, when Abra's dad finds out that they're coming he's like well what do, what do they look like they're like they just like like middle-aged people like they just look like normal people it's the twins right that there's like yeah there are creepy twins and i can't remember they're not a big part it's yeah. a very small part but yeah i found it weird that she was 15 and then like i was like is it so they could skip the lesbian sex scene or i don't really need the lesbian sex but scene. it was kind like, of unnecessary honestly in the novel it's still like a it applied uh, something a little bit because what she when she like gets um andy to be mm-hmm. honest she tells rose she's the most beautiful woman she's ever seen yeah i think they want to make her and crow daddy's relationship stronger yeah because i honestly because they spent they i mean it it's very descriptive, the love scene that I remember. I was just like, because I was doing dishes as I was listening to it. I was just like, what? did I start reading Fifty Shades of Grey? What's happening? I just thought I was reading a Stephen King novel. Um, I was like, okay, that got weirdly sexual, but all right then. Um, but I think they went to make her and Crow Daddy's relationship stronger. So it was a bigger impact when, spoiler alert, he dies, maybe? Yeah. I don't know, I guess. But also, and also, like, she ends up being in a relationship with a woman named Silent Sari. And, yeah, and they both try to take revenge on Abra and everybody. So, yeah, you get to know a lot more of the True Knot people. And they have, like, and also, like, she was abused as a child, like, uh, Snakebite Andy. That's why she goes after men. And... It's not like she does what she does. She does the movie theater thing, although it's taking place in the 80s. So they're actually watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, ironically, in the movie theater. Um, But I did think she was an interesting character. But she she does say fucking men when she dies. Yeah. So I was like, oh, it was the same. Okay. There's the, the thing that makes the Stephen King novel so long is that because there's so much telekinetic astral projecting going on he repeats scenes through different characters' eyes. Like, he'll do a whole scene from Abra's point of view, then a scene from Crow Daddy's point of view, then a scene from Danny's point of view. And it's basically the same set of events, but to keep it less, compl- like, confusing, he does three different chapters when it's one event. Yeah. And, like, the whole setup, it's much more complicated because there's a train involved, but the setup, like, they, they have Abra Astral Project to having a picnic with her dad to trap the true knot people that are coming to get her. And she's at home astral projecting her body. And um, 
then she like disappears. Also in the book, they never put her on bodily harm. Every time she goes somewhere with Danny, she's astral projecting, which uh, is when like you le- you have like a spirit version of yourself. Kind of okay. It's like what Luke Skywalker did in the Last Jedi. Remember that? That's what she does. She yeah. does that in the in the book. Like so, they never put this, you know, eleven year old girl in mortal peril in the book. Maybe twelve. She might be thirteen. I think she's thirteen. In the book. They don't put her in mortal peril. Which kind of bothers me in the movie. Because she actually goes to the Overlook with Dan. And I was like, uh, okay. That's weird. And they set up the True Knot a lot better. Because, the so in the book, the Overlook's been burned down, right? But it's an evil place. And the True Knot opens a campground that they own and make money off of. At the Overlook Lodge, where it used to be. And so it it's like, oh, evil things are drawn to evil places. So, like, it's natural for that to be the place where they uh, have their final battle. Because they're already there. And they're, they do fight where the Overlook is. But it, it makes a lot more sense. And yeah. also, Dr. John is the one that accompanies Dan to go get the baseball boys glove. But... Billy's the one that accompanies him to get to for the last fight instead of Abra. So yeah, it's a lot different. Like I just think the book makes a whole lot more sense, but I also think it's because they had time. Because again, it's a 15-hour book. So yeah, I, I liked how everybody was connected more. And big spoiler. Do you know the big spoiler in the book? Okay. So basically. We all know Jack Torrance was a blackout drunk and he doesn't remember things he did. And apparently one of those things he did was help conceive Abra's mom who passed away when she was a baby. Or not Abra's mom. A- yeah. No, Abra's Lucy's mom. mom. Abra's mom's mom. Sorry. Abra's grandmother. Um, oh, I thought it was Abra's mom because wouldn't she be just like a couple years? Oh, wait, no. No. Okay. no, 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 no. So Abra's, wait, 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 wait. No, you're right. Abra's mom. Yes, Lucy. He with his grand with her grandmother. I'm sorry. Let me start over again. So one of the things Jack Torrance forgot or didn't didn't know he did, or he did and he didn't realize a child was conceived, was he had an affair with Abra's mom, Lucy's mom. And Lucy is actually Dan's half sister. And the only way he figures it out is because he helps her great grandmother Momo pass on. And she didn't really know either, but she knew that her daughter had been a teacher's assistant at the same school that Jack taught at after college. And he put the connection together. And then before he tells Lucy, he goes into the bathroom to look in the mirror with her and sees how similar they look. And there's this thing, Abra keeps touching her mouth the way his dad used to touch his mouth over and over again. And it's the way her mom touches her mouth, like when they're nervous. And so like it's throughout the whole book, it's set up really well. And so Abra jokes in the middle of the book when they meet up. She's like, I'll just tell everyone you're my uncle if they ask. And she's like, I mean, technically everybody's related, right? And then it ends up that he actually is her uncle. Yeah. And so it also like, gives that possibility that maybe The Shining is hereditary, but maybe it's not. They don't definitively say it. And I thought that was a much better, like, wrap-up of that. It yeah. Was, you know? I like, 
I actually knew that, like, going into seeing Dr. Sleep, and she goes, and when they meet at the park for the first time, he's like, you know, it's kind of unsavory for a grown man to be with a teenage girl. And she's like, if anyone else will just say you're my uncle, I'm like, ah! So, you know, yeah. I thought you were going to do. I, I missed opportunity, man. Maybe they felt, I don't know, like, the way they explained it in the book, it didn't seem very sappy to me. Like, usually I would say that's too much of a coincidence, but it didn't seem that way in I... the book. I feel like um, what I personally like, now granted I didn't read Dr. Sleep as a novel, um, is that I really I really like Dick Holleran's character. Um, I really, really like him. Even as a, as a child, I liked his character because I thought when he befriended Danny, even as a kid, I felt like you could trust him. And mm-hmm. as an adult, I still feel that way. Like he's a mentor to Dan. Yes. And I really felt like they were trying to, rather than there being some kind of familiar bond, it was really, with the movie, they were trying to set up Dan as Abra's mentor, much like Holleran was his mentor. Yeah, I, they do that, and they do it in the book, too. Yeah. Holleran, so he's not dead in the book, originally, but then at some point, Dan's like, I need to ask him for help, and he looks him up, and he finds his obituary, and he's like, so he died when I was an al-. basically, he died when he was in the throes of alcoholism, and just didn't know which is really sad um and so he feels really bad and then dan helps this lady pass on who like wasn't really scheduled to die like there wasn't any warning and usually he knows a couple days before they die and she's like i don't know why but just you need to stay around for a little while after i die and he's like okay and dick hollering uh possesses her body and has a conversation with him and it's like he's like this is the last time we're ever gonna talk and he kind of tells him he he does the same conversation he has with him in the movie um just in an old french lady's uh because apparently she had a french accent in an old lady's uh body which would have been really comical so i'm kind of glad they did it the way they did it in the movie I wanted to uh, point uh, a very fun, like, off thing, on, like, off subject, on subject thing. Um, so something, like, when you're reading it, and I love it. Anyone who knows me knows I, I'm, I love it. And I've always loved, I've loved the novel. I loved the miniseries growing up. And I have some qualms about the movie, but I do like it overall. But um, Dick is actually in it. He was the owner of the Black Spot, which is, like, a um, bar that sell, serves African Americans in Derry. And um, he actually saved Mike Hanlon's fodder uh, during the Great Fire. And so Dick actually sees Pennywise in one of the only adults that has memories of it and stays sane, which a lot of readers in Stephen King's universe believe that the kids in it have the shining. And that's why they're able to survive. Uh, maybe. Maybe yeah. that's why he wanted them more. Maybe... Maybe that's why he couldn't get to them. I don't well, know. a lot of people are like... A lot of people question it... The, the novel storyline of it because there's children that die and there's very graphic children deaths in the mm-hmm. book and um and the movie. These, kids, these kids are all alone with pennywise at some point or another and he doesn't get he doesn't kill them they survive their yeah him. Um, yeah it kind of seems silly in the move well the miniseries it, has, it seems silly because it's like why don't you just why are you taunting them you killed all these other kids but why didn't you kill these kids exactly. but that would make sense also why maybe they have amnesia from it because like danny gets amnesia from tony when tony comes yeah that's the other thing in the movie i think i mentioned this but tony is abra's imaginary friend and dan hasn't talked to him in years because you know i i feel like we skipped right to spoilers but dan you, in you the book. learn in the book mm-hmm. and in the movie 
You I, learn... I think there's only one time they mentioned Tony in the movie, and it's where um, it's he a throwaway line. Out. Yeah, yeah. But Dan, um, in the movie, in the book, you the beginning, you kind of learn what happened to him and his mom. They lived in Florida, which is where Dick was in, because he remember he that's where he worked in the summers. Dick worked in Florida in the movie and the book. Um, but even though Dick's dead in the movie because they stayed true to the Shining movie, um, he still comes and hangs out with Danny when he's a kid and he teaches him the lockbox thing, which is exactly the same in the book and the movie. So basically he teaches Danny because the um, the ghosts of the Overlook are coming after Danny because they want his Shining. They want to feed on him just like the True Knot, which we'll get into the True Knot in a second. Um, and... He teaches Danny a way to lock away the ghost. Like, basically, he's like, here's this metal box. And he uh, he used it because his grandfather was a terrible person. And when he died, he would haunt him. And he needed him to not be there in his mind. And he locks his grandfather away. and Because his, you know, I think it's mentioned in both that his grandmother also had The Shining. Yeah. Dick's grandmother. And so he teaches Danny how to lock... The ghosts away. Like you have to imagine a box. Like you, it's kind of like if you've ever done a method acting class, they do the hot cup exercise where you have to imagine the cup that you're holding in your hand. Does it have a chip in it? What hot beverage is in there? It used to be a coffee exercise, but uh, now they've changed to hot beverage just in case you don't like coffee. And Anyways, I did one of those classes at a theater convention in college, and I was like, this is interesting. But it's very similar to that. He's like, you have to know exactly every inch of this box. And he locks them away. So one by one, in the movie, in the book, they get more into it. But he just mentions it in the movie. So I think he did a good job of just mentioning, like, he locks away every single ghost. And the last ghost I think he locks away is Mrs. Massey, who's the bathtub lady in The Shining and uh, Dr. Sleep. And so he locks them all away, and but he still hears things, and that's why he becomes an alcoholic, because he is afraid that things are going to come after him. So he it kind of mutes The Shining when he drinks, so he becomes an alcoholic. And he kind of hits rock bottom in the beginning, because there's like a, a woman he hooks up with at a bar, and she uses the last of his money to buy cocaine, we got a giant pile of cocaine and he wakes up with like vomit in the bed naked in a place he doesn't know and the only decent thing he does because he steals her money because she stole his to buy the drugs she has like a three-year-old in the book it's even worse in the book because in the book the kid thinks it's candy and tries to eat the cocaine so he takes the cocaine and moves it to a top shelf so he can't get to it but he leaves the kid with the mom and just runs out of there and then years later, like, or months later, she haunts him because she says, we died and no one's found our bodies. Yeah. And he just hits rock bottom. It's a and... real creepy scene in the movie, too, because she's, like, in the bed with him and she goes, they were used to him crying. They were used to him crying so no one's checked mm-hmm. in on us. And, like, the baby's dead, too, just laying there. And you're just like, yeah. fuck. Yeah, it's really sad. And that's, like, it's basically word for word the same as the book like that stuff the beginning's really similar to the book there's only a few things different in the beginning like dick's dead and not alive like dick's actually alive in the book dr sleep and he visits wendy and danny because he helped rescue them from the overlook at the end of the book so like they are all survivors so they all stay pretty close until wendy dies 
Um, which Wendy dies really young, which is really sad. Like, you know, I would have hoped, like, maybe she would have a happy ending, but she doesn't really, which is sad. But I think she's just so heartbroken. Um, but yeah, so Danny, like, sinks into alcoholism. And then he does go to this uh, little town in uh, New Hampshire, which is, like, two towns over from where Abra is. And he gets clean with this guy, Billy, who Billy is a really old guy in the book. So I was like, where's Billy? And it's this kind of young middle-aged guy who's not super old. And I was like, all right, okay. So that was, I was like, Billy's super young. Also, Billy doesn't die in the book. Billy survives. So I was kind of sad Billy died in the movie. I was like, oh, come on. Um, I wonder whose decision that was, though. Because I was like, did we need to have everybody die? They're like doing the Dick Halloran thing all over again. They don't need to die. Yeah, I thought that way yeah, I thought it was silly, and I didn't... My dad was like, I hate that Abra's dad died. And I was like, he does it in the book! My and mom and me, uh, I was watching it the second time with my mom, and the first time I watched it, I was so engrossed in what was happening. The second time, you see Abra on the table, and she's doing her thing. Her dad's directly behind her, and the second shot, her dad's not behind her. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's where Crow Daddy came in and got him. Yeah. So... In the book, she... The dad is with Danny... And Dr. John. And Billy is in a truck watching her house. And she's supposed to be at her friend's house. So she's at her friend's house astral projecting and having a really hard time trying to multitask. And then she is like, oh, I got my period and I'm not feeling too great. Um, I'm going to go home. I'm fine, though. My dad will be home soon. So it's fine. So she wasn't supposed to go home alone, but she does. And then Crow Daddy uses Billy, he drugs them both and uses Billy as bait because every time she tries to escape, he's like, I'm going to kill Billy if you do. And so, like, he uses him as leverage. So, that was... It's an interesting change. But, yeah, her dad is with Danny. So, it was like, no. But her mom is away for most of it and then she comes back at the end. Like, before they go off, she comes back. Um... But yeah, and Abra, like, Abra and him start talking when she's pretty young. But again, Tony is her imaginary friend, and she thinks he's Tony's dad when she's younger. Because I guess they look so similar, because he is an amalgamation of his dad and him and all that. Like, but a young version. Like, how Tony looks. So she thinks Tony is his son. But then when she gets older, she does start writing on the chalkboard, which was my favorite part, was when she was, like, writing on the chalkboard. I was like, ooh, creepy. Yeah. Someone on the chalkboard. Um, But, yeah, most of it's the same, except Dr. John is connected to both of them, and it makes more sense why they meet up. And also, he kind of, he tells Abra's parents, like, hey, I vouch for Dan. He's a good guy, and I know what's going on with Abra. And he's the one that goes and gets the baseball boy, which I guess we should talk about the true knot. Yeah. Which are amazing villains. Okay. They're just amazing villains. They're spectacular villains. They're awful people. But you rarely get a real good villain, you know? Maybe Joffrey, maybe Ramsey Bolton. But they're just, just, ooh, just such good villains. Um, and probably the baseball boy seems the worst, which. Yeah. Is played by the little boy from Room. Jacob Tremblay. Jacob Tremblay, yes. Who is so good. He Not only is he a good actor, he's absolutely adorable. I know. <laughs> he's the cutest he, little boy. Yeah. So cute. 
Also, I love that they never... So basically all the True Knot in the book, they all have these like... Because they've been around for hundreds of years where people used to use racial slurs, all of their nicknames are racial slurs. Barry the Chunk is not Barry the Chunk. She Aber just mishears it because she doesn't know racial slurs. It's actually a very terrible Asian racial slur. And that was... I mean, like, on one hand... They're villains. In a lot of Stephen King novels, the villains, the be- the bullies, say terrible things that Stephen King doesn't actually believe in. And it makes them even more heinous. Like, in the It movie, in the book, the bullies call them uh, the F word. That is a very mean th- thing to say to a gay person. Like, I don't like saying it. It makes me feel weird. But they say it a lot. But I'm like, it makes sense, because if you were in the 80s and you were getting bullied, that's probably what someone would call you, because they're assholes, you know? So it makes sense that they're, like, laughing. They have all these jokes about, like, your eyes are slanted, so we're going to call you Barry the racial stereotype. (laughs) I was like, man, y'all are assholes. I hate you all. Um, But I'm kind of glad they just avoided it in the movie, because it wasn't that important. I was just like, it's just like another layer of them being evil assholes, basically. Yeah, you know, but they do have more levels. Like most of them have had a traumatic childhood or life, and the reason that they became what they are is uh, because they're trying to escape the awful things in their life. So, like, at least you get that, you know. Yeah, I guess in the book, but I, I don't know. I think they really just wanted to focus on Rose the Hat because she is the most interesting one. Yeah. And I really, really like her. Like, she, um, Rebecca Ferguson plays her, of course, in the movie. And she just plays, she plays her so, like, she's compelling. She's Mm -hmm. interesting. She's beautiful. Um, She's charming. Um, You really can feel, like, why someone would be allured by her. Yes. Yeah. Like, what is it she says when she sees people? She was like, well, hi there. Or, like. Yes, like, well, hi there. Yeah, like, like when oh, she sees goodness. when she sees Danny, she is like, "Well, hi there. Who are you?" Like, you know, like because he's obviously very handsome, and she she's very flirty with him. Yes, like yeah, and she has a very flirty nature. You know what? I have seen her. I kept thinking she looked familiar. She is in the TV series The White Queen, which is amazing if you like historical fiction and like especially English historical fiction, like around the royalty. The White Queen is about um, about 15th century England, and it's told from a female perspective. And it's very interesting. Also, it goes into, like, it's just, it's just I love, it's, oh, and they're Philippa Gregory novels. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like the one who did wrote The Other Boleyn Girl. Oh, no, Another Boleyn Girl. Why am I thinking of the original author of Wicked? I'm sorry. Oh, oh, that, they do have similar names. That's like okay. Philip something, though. Gregory Maguire. That's who wrote Wicked. Ah, okay, so close. And Son of a Witch. Yes. Wicked the book's pretty good, too. It's a little creepier, but it's pretty good. I think the the play's a little better, honestly. A little lighthearted. Yeah, it's a little more lighthearted. It's it's kind of rough. There's, like, body horror, too, in it. And, uh, yeah, anyways. uh, Wicked. But, yeah, uh, The White Queen is really good. I highly recommend. I think it was a... stars series so if you have stars who also did outlander you should be able to get it 
I'm pretty sure it's a Stars series. It might be Showtime, but I'm pretty sure it's Stars. But yeah, I like stumbled across it because I love historical fiction and I fell in love with it. And then I saw the second series and then The Spanish Princess just premiered last year and I watched every episode, which I do think The Spanish Princess isn't quite as good as the other ones. Not really. It, it's still intriguing, though, because it's her falling in love with Henry VIII is kind of like the end of this. It ends with their wedding. So it doesn't go to her like being spurned by him, but it kind of shows that they were on more even footing than you would think. Okay, so back to the True Knot, which we need to talk about. So the True Knot is run by uh, Rose the Hat, Hat, which (laughs) we just talked about too long, uh, played by Rebecca Ferguson, who's in The White Queen on Stars. You should watch it. It's great. Um, and then there's Crow Daddy, who's pretty much very similar in the book and the movie. There wasn't a whole lot of difference. Snake by Danny, like we said, she's 36 in the book. She's 15 in the movie. It's a weird, weird age gap, but Grandpa okay. Flick. Grandpa Flick, who is in the, who, I think he was the, probably the closest to being the same in both of them. And then there's a couple other ones that aren't really mentioned in the movie. One Silent Sari. Apron Annie, Barry the Chunk, we're going to call him the Chunk because I'm not saying that word. And there's, in the book, there's a doctor called Walnut. And there's a couple other people. There's a lot of people. Um, but basically, I don't know, Brittany, I've talked a little bit. You talk. Sorry. No, it's okay. No, it's okay. <laughs> I feel like I've no. talked too much. So, yeah. So, in the book, from what I understand, there is like, Maybe, like, 40 members of the True Knot, and then there's fractions of them across the world, um, which it kind of alludes to uh, towards the end of Doctor Sleep, because Rose says, oh, no, it's not just me. There's more of us out there. And um, so, yeah, but um, basically, they feed off the steam of people with the shiny. Much like Pennywise and It, they specifically feed off fear um, and torture. So, like, the more afraid or in pain that their victims are in, the, the tastier the steam um, different steams have different tastes, kind of, like, dependent on the personality. Um, and it seems like, just from, I don't know if it's the case in the book, too, but in the movie, it seems like they enjoy feeding off children more. Or maybe they do just feed well, off children. they say it's, like, because it's a thing where, like, Dr. John says that Abra's gonna lose her shine when she gets older. I think kids start losing it when they get older. So, they tend to go for children because it's more intense. Yeah. And... In the novel, they're starting to run out of steam because they will feed off of someone and then save a lot of the steam, like almost like in Tupperware, but in these canisters in Rose's van because they all drive RVs around and they own a campground where the Overlook Lodge used to stand in the book. In the movie, I think they just are in a camper and it's a little smaller. Um, But they're kind of a caravan, like band. They were gypsies, like they were gypsies in england like before they came to america well they don't say the word gypsy which made me feel like is that a slur now i didn't know yeah, gypsy it was is. a slur really yeah um I, I we went to school with a girl that um was adopted as a child but she was born in romania and um she said i was reading one of her big long posts about it and she said gypsy is a slur because it was it was it was a slur kind of thrown out at nomadic people that lived in Europe that maybe were darker skin. Um, 
so yeah, like it, it, it in Europe to this day, it's a and somehow our culture has taken it to mean like free spirited. Um, but that's yeah, not here what it's the like or- very positive. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I've never known it to be negative. But traveler is the alternative phrase that they use on that TV show. Yeah. Um, but it's people in England who are of traveler descent and traveler lifestyle. And yeah. so they are travelers, which they don't use again, they don't use that word, which I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I really didn't know. Like I really had not heard that gypsy is now a don't mention word. So please don't be I'm so sorry if I'm offending you. Um, I'm gonna try to say traveler, but they were travelers, like they specifically mentioned that's what they were in England and then they are or in Europe and now they are travelers in America, but people just call them nomads in America. Um but uh yeah, it's interesting that they've been yeah. around for such a long time. And Grandpa Flick's been around the longest. Yeah, and includes that he's been around since like gladiator time. Yeah. Or before. Like, my mom was like, how old is he? I was like, I feel like in the book they said, like, Jesus time. So, really old. Um, And basically, they're not, they're quasi-immortal. Because they don't, they have to feed off steam to to live long. But it doesn't mean they will never die. And so, what happens early on in the book and in the movie, they feed off this boy, Bradley, who's played by Jacob Tremblay. And uh, he has the measles in the book. Yeah. And they don't know that. And they all start getting really sick. And one of the reasons why they're going so hard after Abra is, yes, she's big steam. And they can feed off of her for years. And they're all, their canisters of steam are dwindling. They only have a few left. And Rose is the only one that knows that. But she knows that they need to do that. Because if they don't eat often, they will start aging and basically they all start getting measles and dying off and they're trying to get to Abra because she's been vaccinated and they are think that maybe she'll make them immune to measles and they're not sure though it's one of those like it feels very realistic because they're like maybe that little boy had measles we're not really quite sure but who else did we get it from and then they're like let's go after this chick because she's probably been vaccinated and I was like, so was Bradley's parents anti-vaxxers or I don't what? know. I don't know if like this is maybe me looking too much into it, but I thought maybe it was like more of a rural part of the US. Maybe they didn't have Yeah, I mean it was like in Iowa or Idaho. Yeah, because he's also in the movie, he's walking home by himself after his baseball game, which I'm like, that shit does not fly. Like, no, because he's only like eight. Like, if yeah. he was like 12, I'd be like, yeah, okay, 12 year old. Yeah. An eight year old walking home by themselves by a cornfield. Yeah. No, especially in a Stephen King novel, get out of the cornfields, children. Yeah. Exactly. It's like very like backwards but at the same time probably gives you the idea of like it's a very small town like where bad things don't happen um and they feel like their child could walk home i would never let my child walk home by himself at eight years old that's just my opinion um i'm not a mom but that's how i feel so yeah it's really sad um but i hear that's like a big complaint that um some people have with dr sleep as a novel they were like oh my god they're dying from measles what the fuck but i'm like to me it kind of logically makes sense it's almost like the scene in the movie where Crow Daddy dies because he's not wearing his seatbelt. They think they're immortal yeah. and they think they're immune to things. So, of course, they're not going to think about things like vaccinations. 
and they haven't been getting sick but i think it's a little more of a like they haven't been feeding enough so their immune system was weakened so yeah. normally they wouldn't have caught that, which I, they don't even say definitive. I don't think I could be wrong, but I don't think they definitively say that definitively say that they got it from Bradley. I think they say they think they did because they're not 100 percent sure because they also had some old canisters. So maybe it was somebody else. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of ironic and funny that they're dying of measles. And yeah. um also, this was written in 2011. I'm sorry. No, released in 2013. So probably written in 2011 and based in 2011. So the anti-vaxxing thing hadn't really hit its stride yet. I don't think that happened until, like, probably 2013, 20, well, I mean, 2014 or so. Like, I don't remember it until, like, five years ago it really being a big thing. Like, there were a couple yeah. people on the outskirts that were like, I don't want to vaccinate my kids. But most people still thought that was stupid. Yeah, you know, five years ago, and now people think that's okay. It's not okay. Vaccinate your children. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to go. Immunity is a thing. I'm not going to go into like super great detail, but I'm still horrified by the fact that people would rather, would rather have dead children than autistic children. That, oh yeah, have we not talked about this? Like it yeah. pisses me off. I'm like, like I'm just like so you have I, to work harder as a parent, I'm or like, your kid can be dead. Which I'm one like, would you prefer? I would rather have an autistic child than a dead yes. child any day. And that's also because I know people in the autistic community and for them to be discredited in such a way, it's also yeah. horrifying. I'm well, like, is, are these the same people that would euthanize their baby if they found out they were blind or deaf? Like, it's so disgusting. And I'm also like, you know, yeah, autism is a spectrum and it's not a death sentence. Yeah. I'm like. Oh my god, it pisses me off. Measles, that's a death sentence for a child. There's a lot of very amazing autistic people I know that are so fucking just wildly talented too. Like so I'm still just absolutely horrified that people will legitimately say that, like, well, I don't want my child to be autistic. Well, fuck you, you must not know autistic person because they're also there's absolutely no scientific proof of Yeah, oh yeah. Exactly. That's what's exactly that's what's even worse. But it's just the fact that that's the reason they don't do it. Like right it's just so and I'm sorry, if you are an anti-vaxxer, I'm not really sorry for offending you. You shouldn't be. You should vaccinate your children. It's what a good parent does. Just yeah. like you should wear a mask. And your child should wear a mask when they're out near other people. Protect protect people. Like, I don't understand why that's such a hard thing and why it's politicized. I'm like, yeah. it's not political. It's medical. Like, yes. oh, my God. We all need herd immunity. Okay, sorry. I, no. Again, it's okay. daughter it's, of a it, nurse. I get pissed when people don't take medical advice from like actual medical people. Exactly. I do real quick. Um, of course, like I know we're going to start wrapping things up because we're almost hitting yeah. the, uh, well, my lights will dim. Soon. Yeah. We're getting but, a little late, but it's, we but, started a little late too. So yeah, but I do want to touch across uh, upon. So uh, Bradley's death scene and Dr. Slate, because obviously that's like the most controversial scene in the movie. And I actually did read uh, that people walked out there in that scene, um, which to me, I mean, you can't really tastefully film a child's death on camera, but they did do it in such a way that because they cast Jacob Trimbley, who is an amazing child actor, the cameras constantly focus on his face. So you're not really seeing the violence, but you just know what's happening. And it's awful. Yeah, it's awful. And I guess because I had read that part of the book before I saw the movie, it it was horrific, but it 
it hit me a lot more when I read the book because I was like, oh my god, this is awful. Because like I didn't think they were gonna like torture the poor kid. I thought they were like just gonna like suck his. I thought it was gonna be like a dementor thing, and then I was like, oh no, this is worse. Great. Yeah, it's not when, good. When you like. like, and for me, it's like reading Stephen King. Um, and that's my thing. So even with the first It movie. Georgie's death is pretty horrific um, in it, but most of the children's deaths in the first It movie happen off screen. Um, so other than Georgie's, which hits you at the beginning, it's actually Georgie's pretty tame. It's awful at the beginning. It's awful. It is awful, but Ugh. like there's a child who is killed in the original It novel by the creature from the Black Lagoon, and his head is literally popped off. And I mean, King goes into graphic detail. Um, um Kane was the co-author of it. Yeah. I, it, I stole that from Red Letter Media, but I firmly believe it. There I'm pretty scene, sure King said it too. There is scenes in like it though that like my skin just crawl, which I think is a testament to how King is as a writer, but every single adaptation I t I have seen does do things with kind of kitty gloves, except for these recent movies. Georgie's death is very graphic and Bradley's death is very graphic. But um, I think that helps you understand why Abra is so upset and like yeah. for some reason Abra sees it all happening and she doesn't really know why but they're only killing kids with the shining so it's possible they just connected telepathically and it wakes her up in the middle of the night and she's screaming her parents just think she's having a nightmare but she just can't get over the baseball boy and in the book she goes out finds his what are they she does in the movie she does on the internet in the movie but she finds it in like a it's kind of happenstance in the book where there's like a missing children poster and she just sees his his picture and she gets obsessed with it and the more she touches his picture the more she knows but she sends dan and in the book dr john goes with him in the movie billy goes with him and they go find the glove and basically dig up bradley but they don't really tell his parents because they don't want to be suspected of murder. They're going to wait a few months to tell his parents in the book, which I don't even know if they said that in the movie. I don't think they, well, she said something about giving his parents closure, but they never touch on it again. Yeah. In the, in the book, they're like, we're going to wait like six months and then we're going to call the cops because we just want to be, because that, you know, they were strangers in a small town and they don't want to be, you know, get the police involved because they can't save him yeah. either and I think at this point he's already been dead several months so he's already presumed dead pretty much so I mean it's kind of a tough decision they talk about it and they're just like ah, I guess uh, like it's really awful like they hate it's a really like you feel bad but you understand where they're coming from um, but yeah so they use the baseball glove because Barry the Chunk um was carrying it and he doesn't get killed by the true knot in the book he dies of measles so i don't understand she was like before they killed him and i was like why would they kill one of their own they wouldn't like they're a tribe maybe they're trying to make them seem more evil i don't know um but she sees where they are through him and she starts setting traps for rose and i love this because it's like a really good execution of a thing that stephen king did in well, I don't know how the book executes it, but in the movie um, Dreamcatcher, which is about toilet weasels, I think is what poop weasels. What is pretty, what is pretty, pretty much Morgan yeah. Freeman called Morgan Freeman literally says like poop weasels or something like or toilet weasels. Um, 
there's a, a mind, it's kind of like Sherlock's mind palace. It's like a mind warehouse, a memory warehouse. And one of the characters kind of envisions his brain as a warehouse. And he's trying to lock away memories from the aliens that are um, possessing his friends so that they can't get to them. And uh, Abra has one, so does Rose. And it's like filing cabinets. And Brittany, I thought of you because in the book, she fights off Rose as Daenerys Targaryen riding a dragon. That is amazing. <laughs> but for some reason, they didn't have that in the movie. She just kind of uh, slams her finger shut, which she does in the book too. But she's like, I imagined I was d- that dragon girl from that TV show. I think That's she says awesome. Daenerys Targaryen and Dan's like, I don't know who the fuck that is, but okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, Daenerys. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Cause like, I feel like if someone was in my brain, I would imagine like the strongest person I know from fiction and be yeah. that person. I was like, that makes sense as a 12 year old girl. Totally makes sense. I know. Um, I would do that too. Um, off subject, on subject. Um, I love that in the scene, uh, it's a it, with Rose and her hand getting caught. It's like a degloving scene. I'm like, oh, nice Gerald's game reference we got going on there. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh, I see what you did there, Stephen King. Yeah. She uh, repeats the good ones. But also yeah. Dreamcatcher is la- laughable. I don't know what Dreamcatcher was supposed to be, honestly. Also, there's a comical being hit by a car scene that's not supposed to be comical. But Stephen King did get hit by a car at some point. But he did. He so did. He I fought think it's the car that hit him. Event. He yeah. fought the car that hit him so he could destroy it. <laughs> it's so funny. Do. He, almost, he almost died from it. It's only funny because he's now he okay. Like, he's yeah. now okay. Like... I think he has a sense of humor about it because he bought the damn car that hit him and he destroyed it. Yeah. But, like, the way it's filmed in the movie Dreamcatcher, this guy's, like, on the phone, he's crossing the street, and he just, bam! Like, there's something funny about people getting hit by cars. It was, like, not really. It's not funny. It's not yeah. funny. It's not funny to be hit by a car. I'm saying in movies. I don't know why it's hard to film a car wreck happening full speed that doesn't seem comical i don't know if yeah. it's bugs bunny in our brain but i think of the mean girl scene and Dreamcatcher, and then the end of that terrible movie wish upon okay I which also is think, so funny i also think of the first final destination where she walks in the road and she's like you can just drop dead and then the bus just like takes her out yes. like so it's yeah. like like i don't it's just difficult unless you like film car wrecks in like slow motion or like it's some like there's a lead up to it and you're in the yeah. car. It's car. like I don't know. It seems just abnormal. I will tell you this, and I fucking hate it because it's now a trope in movies, and it kills me. Um, I remember it first seen in No Country for Old Men. It's the out of nowhere, the car hits the other car. You you oh. know how multiple movies now where it's like someone will be driving a car and then out of yeah. nowhere, a car just comes and hits. They do that a lot now. Yeah, yeah I agree. I it's a little it. too much. Like, yeah. it's interesting sometimes, but most of the time, it's not. Um, nothing that does happen in real life. Like, I've been hit it by does. a car before. Well, in know, my car, not personally. You know what? I've been in um, three car wrecks where I was the passenger every single time, and it literally gives me so much anxiety, I almost have to get up and walk away. When you're in control, I think it's less scary because you can control what's happening. When you're a passenger, it's just, like, it's so out of control. It's not cool. Cool. Um, yeah, so, like, car accidents suck, and I'm not trying to laugh at car accidents. I'm just saying, 
I don't know why in movies it's hardly ever like not comical for some reason. Like the way they film like a fast car accident. Like I feel like it's there's ways to direct it where it's not comical. Like I haven't seen the whole movie, but there's this Jake Gyllenhaal movie and I can't remember what it's called, but it's like his wife dies in a car accident. And the beginning of the movie is like, he's in the passenger seat and his wife is driving and she's looking at him. He's like, Oh my God, there's a car. Watch out. And like the car hits them and it's okay. Like it's not, funny at all like it it's actually shocking or like the movie nightcrawler there's a lot of car wrecks and it's actually scary but for some reason a lot of stephen king ones are like filmed in a way that it's almost comical and i don't really know why yeah it's weird um but let's get let's get past car accidents yeah we'll 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 get back to um the movie i i definitely think we should talk about the third act um because of course after all this craziness true not members dying of the measles in the movie they're not dying of the measles they're ambushed by billy and um uh dan dan who of course get most of the members except crow daddy uh who ends up dying uh because he's not wearing his seatbelt, and dan takes over abra's mind so the end is just rose and of course dan's like well the only place i know to go is this evil place and i don't really want to take you to it but here we go and of course it's overlook hotel so they drive to colorado to go to the overlook and this is where i feel like a lot of people are torn at this movie where they're just like okay this becomes a stanley kubrick love fest me personally i loved it like i I, loved it i liked it yeah i agree like because here's the thing like yes i like the ending of the book better but I also really love the movie, the, the, the movie, The Shining. I love it. So I, I found it was because the movie more is showing how similar Dan and Jack are, but how Dan makes choices that are better, yeah, are more good. And he doesn't succumb to the evil as much as Jack does of the Overlook. So I liked the parallel journey of Dan yeah. and it, if you want to see all the differences, there actually is a really good YouTube video that I came across yesterday when I was just researching it. And it's just, it goes side by side every scene that is like recreated. Oh my God. The scene where Rose is coming up with Danny up the stairs yeah. and there is like a sack recreation of Jack following Wendy up the stairs. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is amazing. Like, I mean, the eye. And I read that, that during production, they had an iPad going around the set. Uh, they, were, they had an iPad of scenes from the Kubrick film, and they were going around the set making sure it was exactly spot on. And they like, used Kubrick's um, blueprints for the set, yeah. his original one. So it is really, because I rewatched most of The Shining last night, and then I was rewatching the ending part uh, tonight before we... Um, started filming because i went to watch it again and uh it's so similar like it is perfect and the only shots they reused were the aerial shot with the water and the island from the beginning um and the car driving up the mountain those are the only two actual shots from the shining that they used so everything else they recreated with actors and set and they did such a good job 
Um, Even like the elevator scene, which is like, I think one of the most, other than the Grady sisters, the probably second most iconic scene, the Grady sisters, and then here's Johnny, and then the elevator scene with the blood, and they were like, we couldn't get the blood just right, so we digitalized that blood to make it just Mm -hmm. look right, but from Rose's POV, so it's a little higher, instead of Danny's POV, I'm like, they thought of so many things that were just Mm -hmm. so brilliant. Yes, they really did. By the way, that video is called Side by Side Comparison, The Shining versus Dr. Sleep by O-R-B-I-T-A-L-I-S, Orbitalis. Um, yeah, it, it shows everything. Like, it shows it side by side, and it's very interesting. Because, like, I love, like, they they don't just recreate the ballroom scene with Jack. They recreate the walk to the ballroom scene. And it's so good. Um and I'm glad they didn't go with the um, croquet mallet in yeah. Doctor Sleep because the axe is way scarier um, and more damaging. Um, yeah, it's so good. And like it, it, yes, it is a love letter to Kubrick's one. But unlike the original Shining movie that Stephen King doesn't like, um, they have the ending of the Overlook the way the original movie ends with it burning down. And Abra basic, I feel like she says word for word what Danny says in the book. Yeah, fake face. Almost. Just Dan and not my dad. And because in the book, it's much more evident, in the miniseries, it's much more evident that the hotel has possessed Jack. It's not just that it's influencing Jack. In the movie, I feel like they were less focused on the supernatural aspects and more of the human choice to be a bad person like jack has these urges from day one and he gives into them whereas danny doesn't want to be a bad person and that's why he is able to fight the hotel off more yeah and Um, i love it because there's actually a line from holleran where he goes i think you grew up fine son but you have a debt to pay yeah oh he doesn't say that in the book he just says i think you grew up fine son yeah, I think in, I think the debt to pay is the mother and the child. I'm not absolutely sure if that's what the line was supposed to reference, but that's why I thought it may be referencing. See, and here, well, let's, let's go through how it ends, and then I'll tell you why I like the book ending better. Um, I'll let you finish the ending of this, though, so I won't yeah. talk too much. So, um, there, that's the thing. So, of course, like, he lures, he first goes and he wakes up the hotel. So he, like, and it's like... When you're a fan of the original movie, you're just like, yeah, like, because he literally goes through all the original rooms you kind of see in the original movie, including the living quarters where him and his mom and dad were at. He goes for the room to the bathroom, puts his face in the literal door where um, put his face. So, I mean, there's all these really, really great moments, Um, but he wakes the hotel up. He lures Rose there and um, he they basically what happens is she. She gets into his mind. She's feeding off his steam. She's seeing the closed boxes. And she's like, who else do you have in there? And, of course, she falls right into his trap because she releases yeah. the hungry ghost. Yeah. Of the After Abra traps yeah. her, too. Abra yeah. astral projects in Dan's mind and tricks her as well. So there's a lot of levels of trickery. But it's yeah. really good. Because um, they put her in the hedge maze. And you're like, oh, that's how it's going to end. She's going to freeze to death. It's like, nope. It's yeah. different. I did like that. And I honestly like Rose's death better in the movie because yeah. in the book she falls off a cliff and then I think they feed off her steam. Um, 
like they still feed off of her, but it's more of a physical confrontation. Yeah. And she's not quite as superhumanly strong in the book as she is in the movie. Like she is really strong, but she's not quite that strong in the book, I think, that I remember. Again, it's been like a it's only been a week, but it's a lot of book. Yeah. Um but I do like that they just take her down. Like yeah. I love it. And it's it's kind of it's disgusting when they cycle because the members of the true knot they start like turning like transparent. And then they finally just disappear like Jedi's. Yeah. Um, exactly. It's almost like they like literally turn to dust. Like it's like almost yeah. like the bodies finally aged the way that their bodies should have been aging. They like almost tell, turn skeleton into dust. So of course, like they um they feed off Rose, she dies, and then they turn their sights to Dan and they possess him. And what you get is like you said, it's almost like the confrontation at the end of the novel, The Shining. But instead of Jack and Danny, it's Dan and Abra. And it's like his love, or if you want to call it his love for Abra and her not running from him. Like, she could have been scared, but she faces it. And she's like, you don't know Dan. And he goes, um, like, he becomes Dan, and he tells her to escape. And he makes the active choice. Like, he has time to turn off the boiler room, but he goes down with the hotel. It's almost like the captain going down with the ship. Well, I don't understand why he couldn't have just walked out because it was going to explode regardless I don't know I guess maybe the only thing I could think of is like maybe and see that's the only thing I don't know and I was wondering because why it's really touching to see Wendy like comfort him it's also I don't know why they made that like why they decided to make Dan die like hey I don't understand how that would have been the closure for him to die yes and this is where I I again, so I saw, I read half the book, watched the movie because I wanted to not judge. Because I'm more harsh on judging book and en- movie endings versus book endings than I am about like just little parts. So I was like, because again, like I said, like Abra looks different, Billy's a different age, doesn't really matter. Like as long as they're good characters, I don't care. That stuff I knew wasn't going to bother me, but I thought the end because I didn't know how it was going to end. I didn't know at all either way when I watched the movie. And I, I, I teared up, definitely. It got me, especially when he, because he comes back to Abra and he has a conversation just like Dick had with her. And he's like, don't hide your shine. And then it gets a little sappy because, like, her dad died while they were trying to kidnap her, the true knot. And then she's like, mom, they go on. We all go on. Which is a very sweet message. But it, and Stephen King can be really sappy. Like, he can be really sappy and corny. We've all heard the, why are they so mean line from uh, it. It's so stupid. I I was editing our Blue Velvet episode where I talked about it. And I had to include a gif of, or gif, however you like to say it, of uh, him going, why are there people like Frank? Because it just reminds me so much of that awkward scene in it. Um, He does get a little corny. Um, and I, it was a very sweet ending because she's like, we go on, we all go on. And then I like that she closes the door on Mrs. Massey or she's about to like lock her in a box again. I love that. I loved it. Then I read the book and the book is so much. I like the book better because Abra is a very important character. You spend a lot of time with Abra, but the story is not about Abra. It's about Dan and it's Dan's journey from being a person who dims their shine with alcoholism and drug abuse to a person who has 
faced his trauma, gotten clean, gotten sober, and he has now become a, like, almost father figure to Abra and has found his family again because he didn't have family and now he has family again. Like, he was all, he's all alone in the beginning of the story. And he finds his family. He finds Billy. And there's another person who's Billy's boss who's actually his sponsor in the book who's, like, the mayor of the town, Casey, and he's really involved with him, too. But Dr. John's, like, they kind of, like, put Billy and Casey and Dr. John, even though Dr. John does make an appearance in the book, in the movie, they kind of put them all together and, you know. But again, it's a movie, so they need to shorten it. Anyways, but he has a family. He has friends. He has Abra and her parents and his sister. And the end of the book is Abra's birthday, which is also... It's her 15th birthday, and it's his 15th year sober, because he got sober right when Abra was born, which gives them another connection. And so he makes, he has kind of the same speech in the middle of the movie, but it's such a better bookend, because the whole book, he's been thinking about what happened with the woman and her baby, and he's been thinking, he, he's never told anyone about it. Rose is the only one, Rose uses that to torture him. At the Overlook in the book. She uses that dead woman and her baby to torture him. And Abra has to pull him back. And it's like very thematic throughout the whole thing. And it just keeps coming back. And like every time he thinks he's getting better, he thinks about that. And his sponsor says, well, one day you're going to have to tell us how you hit rock bottom. And then you'll finally be better. Because you have to admit when you hit rock bottom, you have to tell somebody your story about your rock bottom moment. And he gets up on his 15th sobriety anniversary and he tells everybody in the room what happened and none of them basically bat an eye. And he realizes, wow, like, yes, that was terrible, but everyone did terrible things when they were an addict and when they were on the substance and abusing a substance and forgiveness. It, like, it, it's just this theme of like forgiveness and overcoming a substance abuse and childhood abuse. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I think he has a beautiful story. And then he goes to Abra's birthday. And Abra's starting to be kind of a... Like a... Kind of a rude little teen. And she's like, my mom sucks and stuff. And he's like, you know, when I was 15... Oh, oh, and she tries alcohol at a party. And he's talking to her about it. And he's like, do not hide yourself. Don't dull it with alcohol. Because she's finally able to control like Dan coming into her thoughts so she's able to control the shining better when she's older but she still has a lot of it and he basically tells her the same thing like don't hide your shine but also like don't use anger and revenge and alcohol to drive your life like be good and you can be better than me and my dad who's her grandfather or her dad no her grandfather like you can be better than that and I believe in you and it's it's very I, I just love it it's a great bookend it's beautiful and more fitting because the book's about substance abuse and overcoming childhood trauma and he does and he doesn't have to die for it like that's what, like I feel like him he faces the terrible thing he did and he is like I'm okay with everyone hating me for making this choice but he still makes it to tell everybody and they're just like they're forgiving they're like we all did really shitty things when we were abusing alcohol and we forgive you and it's going to be okay. And I was like, that's not, I mean, not that you shouldn't do shitty things to people, but I think one of the hardest things for people who are addicts 
or who maybe have treated loved ones unkindly due to depression issues is that they think that they can never be forgiven for what they've done. And like, I mean, there's different stages, but like forgiveness is a thing and you shouldn't be afraid to ask for forgiveness. You may not get it right away and you have to be okay with that. But I think it's forgiveness is a very powerful thing. Yeah. And I think the person that forgives is a much better person than the person who seeks revenge. And that's kind of, that's also, that's the lesson kind of of the book is that Abra's still holding on to like hatred. And he's like, don't like, it's not worth it. You don't yeah. need to be so angry. And that's why he became an alcoholic because he was so angry as a kid about his dad and his mom. And like, yeah, anyways, but yeah, the book has a much more beautiful ending. And uh, I, I, but I do like the ending of the movie again, before I read the book ending, I thought the movie ending was great and it made me cry a little bit. So, and I also really liked when Abra says, there you are, when he comes back, oh, I'm tearing up. It was so pretty. Like, I was yeah. just like, oh my God, that actress is really good. By yeah. the way, I'm so glad they cast her because she was really good. Yeah. She was, even my parents were like, that girl was good. And I was like, I know, right? So I was like, they must've just cast her and then been like, let's figure everyone else out afterwards because she's just so good. Also, was it just me or did her mom kind of look like Rashida Jones? From the that's, I, think, I think that's maybe what it was like I was like why does she look so familiar like she does look a little like her that, I that, thought she was parents, for a second right? I was like Rashida and I was like oh that's not Rashida Jones never mind yeah. she has a different face okay sorry um, I finally watched Rashida Jones's TV show Angie Tribeca it's pretty funny it's very goofy it's like a spoof on cop procedurals ah. it's, it's pretty funny but it's it's more goofy. It has a very dry sense of humor, but it's real goofy. And I like I didn't. I, it's very weird, but I it's kind of cute. It's really funny. It's kind of like if you ever seen the Good Place, where it's just real quirky. And like yeah. I haven't finished it because they don't have the whole series on Netflix yet. But I watched everything that's on Netflix, and while I was furloughed, I was like building Sims houses and I doing love it. Cheaty. I love cheaty. I know, and then, like, then I'd already seen Midsummer. so when I was watching The Good Place, I was, like, the only, like, reference I had for that actor was Midsummer, and I was like, at least he's not an asshole in this movie. Uh, okay, so we need to do ratings, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, I honestly give Dr. Sleep probably, before I, I read the end of the book, a nine. After I read the book, an eight, because I, I like the book's ending better. Um, I say I may be a little bit more harsher. Um, I actually, I would go between a seven and a half and an eight for me. Like, um, there's a lot of things I love. Um, it's just one of those things where there's kind of tonal shifts for the movie. And I always have a hard time with that. Um, I did like a lot of things. So, and I love like, like I said, and I have to applaud Mike Flanagan as a director, uh, taking these two men who are very, very different, both geniuses, and finding a way that I feel like he really did honor the legacy of two masters. And so, I mean, I yeah. love that. Um, but at the same time, because he made the decision to do that, there's some there's some things that feel a little wonky, I feel, in the overall story. Um, I don't know if you agree with that. And also because I love King. Stephen King has weird moments, so like, there's just weird things like Rose's astral projection scene was a little weird. It was cool when she was actually in Abra's mind, 
But yeah. it was a little weird, like the actual floating kind of over the stars type thing. Yeah, which they do do. She like spies on her outside her room once before that in the book. So it, yeah, the astral projecting. And also like uh, Avra astral projects a lot in the book and doesn't really that much in the movie. So maybe they knew that it was kind of silly. And it was like almost like the Princess Leia scene when she's floating in The Last Jedi. I was like, um... Why? Why? Yeah. Why? Like, Why? in a, a kind of, like, sci-fi twist, like, I understand the idea of it, but it's just a little yeah. awkward. The execution. Yeah. Was a little... Solid. And that's what happens with, like, The Last Jedi with the Princess Leia floating in space scene. I'm, like, it was fine. Like, I was like, I mean, it kind of makes sense, because she has the Force, and I guess that's what they're showing. But, the I don't know, the way she was, like, had her arm up, or, like... I don't know. It just seemed like, like, hello, I'm flown through space. Yeah. I was like, what the, maybe they could have animated a little better. But maybe she had passed away by the time they were working on that part. Yeah. So maybe they didn't have her to, like, change her body movement. I don't know. But, yeah, I had some vibes (laughs) back to that. But I think it's an overall really good movie and a solid sequel to... Uh, such an iconic film and if you love The Shining you should definitely see Dr. Sleep. Hell yeah. And Ian McGregor did an amazing job. So did um, I, my uh, my tablet died so the girl that oh. played Abra did a really good job. Kylie? Kaylee? Kylie? Kylie Cunham or Curran? Curran yeah. I think. Kylie Curran you did a really good job. So did um, the girl that played Rose the Hat. Woohoo! Rebecca Ferguson. Rebecca Ferguson. I know, I'm so glad I figured out where I knew her from because I was like, I know I know this girl. Although I don't, I didn't know she was Irish because she doesn't have an Irish accent in um, the movie. Uh, the White Queen, yeah. Oh, and the thing is, is that that's funny. I didn't even notice that either because I know in the book she has an Irish accent. So she's Irish in the book, but I mean, they don't ever call her the Irish Rose in the movie. So. No, but she does have a lilt. She has a lot of Irish. Like her voice is very like, it sounds like an Irish person who's lived in America for a long time because she's like, oh, hello there. But yeah. it's not very, it's not like, oh, hi, me lucky charms. It's not silly <laughs> Irish. All it's Irish like, people like to talk about their lucky right. charms. If you've ever seen the IT crowd, oh my God, it's a great show. But the first episode of the second season, they go to this play and one of the characters played by Chris O'Dowd is Irish because Chris O'Dowd is an Irish. Oh no, Brittany disappeared. Oh, sorry. I'm still here. Riley just uh, got caught in my microphone cord. Oh no. Yeah. There you are. Um, Chris O'Dowd's character is Irish, and his publicist at the play is like, What does he say? He's something about like, I love the Irish. They're mad. And he and and he's like, Oh, mad about crack or something. And I was like, I didn't know that about Irish people, but and then Chris O'Dowd's like, "Yes, we're all mad for crack," and it's great. So please forgive my terrible Irish accent. Um, none of my Irish ancestors. The, we haven't been Irish for a very long time. We've just we've been in America for too long. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. So, uh, do you have a, a? I was blanking on a title for this episode. I I had the same issue because there wasn't a lot of yeah. Russian things I could think of. Um, I know you won't like this one, but the thing that came to mind was K for King and Kubrick crossover of the century. That's exactly like mine. 
It was King Kubrick kookiness. <laughs> Kooky ghost story. I didn't know because I was like, <gasps> wait, for- wait. King and Kubrick conquer substance abuse. <laughs> the the K, K for King and Kubrick agreement. I don't know. Like it's like oh, I was no. trying to think of something that was like, oh yay! How about Flanagan is the man again? <laughs> oh, that'd be cute. Yeah. Oh, we love Flanagan. I love Mike Flanagan. Please with cast your, me in your movies. I'm with your warm color palettes and reuse of certain actors. I know. Oh, hey, Tyrion. Brittany's cat is like right in the corner of the screen, just looking. Oh. Now he's not, but he oh. was looking right in the ca- like at the camera. Like, hello. yeah, there's a bitty. Hello. I know. I feel like since I, I haven't really been putting stuff on YouTube because it takes too much time. I, I'm like, I should probably say something when the kitties are here. Oh, the kitties. Oh, he doesn't look like he wants to be kissed now. Oh, he loves being kissed. He's not a big fan of being held. It's funny. He loves being he loves being petted and cuddled, but actually being lifted up off his feet is not his favorite thing. So, so we might have to come back to our title and just it'll be a real surprise. Real surprise. Okay. Yeah. So, Katie, I do believe it is your turn, my friend, to pick the movie. I think it is, and I'm having the hardest time. Because I'm like, what am I in the mood for? Have you seen The Invisible Man? I haven't. The remake? The new one? I haven't. Is it streaming, though? Yes. Because I watched it. I think I watched it on Amazon Prime. I might have had to rent it. Let me look. Invisible Man. You do have to rent it. Are we against renting things? Like, is that bad? It is really good, and it's really... I thought it was going to be crap. Yeah, I, I would really watch it. Crap. I would watch it, yeah. I wouldn't be against running it. Taylor wants to see that one, too. I think we should do The the Invisible Man. I think we should do it because it's such an interesting look at a traditional horror movie, and yeah. it's all about, like... Well, I won't even ruin it. I'm not going to ruin it, but we're going to watch The Invisible Man. You can get it on amazon prime but it's only five dollars it was like twenty dollars like you used to have to like rent it like it was a new movie and, and friends, it was really you expensive can, you can red box it too yes so sorry to make people pay this time but um i mean it's not that we don't we usually get stuff that people can watch for free if By you the have time this episode free. airs it could be possible to stream it somewhere. could yeah so you can rent it for 5.99 on amazon prime or buy it for $14.99. Now, I don't have independent HBO or, like, I think Peacock is the new one from NBC. I don't have those yet. So, it could be that it's on one of those. I would not doubt it. Um, but it's really, really good. I might have to buy it because I, re- I really didn't think I was going to like it. And it's really good. And it has another really good child actor in it, too. Ironically. Uh-huh. like, And Elizabeth Moss, who... <laughs> My, my ex-boyfriend was like, she's not very pretty. I'm like, I don't care. Elizabeth Moss is a really good actor. Like, Speaking I don't of, think- I hate when guys say that because I'm just like, okay, just because she's not pretty to you does not mean she's not right. fucking pretty. Like, he, you know my ex-boyfriend. He's not usually like, he's not usually a woman hater at all. Like, he doesn't usually say things like that. I was like, does it matter? Like, I'm not threatened by her. Why are you even mentioning it? No, it's just like every guy I know will say that about certain actresses. They're like, she's just not pretty. And I'm like, your fucking point is? 
Like, I don't think, I'm trying to think who I don't think is pretty. I don't think Steve, well, I, okay, I was gonna say I don't think Steve Buscemi's pretty, but he's charming, actually. He's actually genuinely charming. And if Steve Buscemi was married for a very long time. His wife sadly passed away, I think, last year, which is devastating to hear. Does, like, I think Steve Buscemi, like, is a volunteer firefighter and just seems like an all-around good guy, too. Yeah, he, he volunteered on September 11th, anonymously, yeah. because he used to be a firefighter in New York. And he went to his old station and volunteered and got people out of the rubble and the bill. Uh, he's amazing. Yeah. Um, I love Steve Buscemi. As I was like, I guess he's not traditionally attractive, but he's so charming that if Steve Buscemi wanted to date me and he was like, would you like to go out to dinner? I'd be like, yes, I would, Steve Buscemi, because you are a nice man. Also, he has a scar on his face because he was like breaking up a bar fight because he's that nice of a dude. Yeah. Like. He's fucking awesome. I love him. And it's every that- time people talk about him, I'm like, yeah, Steve Buscemi. Every time he's in a movie, I'm like, oh, even those terrible Adam Sandler movies he's been in, I'm like, I will watch it. Yeah, Definitely. Steve Buscemi? Okay. But he doesn't really do those movies anymore, thank God, because they've gotten so bad and offensive. Exactly. So <laughs> please don't watch Jack and Jill or The Hateful. What was it? It wasn't The Hateful. It was The Hateful Eight. And what did they call, like, he he made, a like, a like a spoof version of that. Oh, it was an Adam Sandler, like, straight-to-Netflix movie. Oh, I don't know. It was like, oh, The Ridiculous Six. Oh, okay. It's bad, okay. I tried to, my boyfriend tried to watch it, or my boyfriend at the time tried to watch it, and I had already watched Jack and Jill with him, to my horror. It's awful. Are you wearing a Dracar shirt, by the way? Oh, I'm wearing, it says, be a dragon. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, Daenerys theme. I know, I'm kind of sad they didn't have the Daenerys thing in, in Doctor Sleep. Because I was like, I was like, oh my god! Like, Britney's gonna love this. That'd be amazing. But I was like, oh, this doesn't happen in the movie. Okay. It's probably too much money to buy the rights to. Mike Flanagan tends to do things on a tight budget. Like, he does spend money for amazing sets. Because he did so many, like like no editing scenes like he did like the the scene in like i can't remember what episode whatever the funeral episode is in the haunting of hill house oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all like most of it's one take because they start in the funeral part they built the set that it moves from the funeral parlor to a hallway to a room and they just keep like going through and so everyone had to choreograph when they came in it was great so it was really well made the whole haunting of hill house is great i can't wait to see the second season and see what they do with it um but with that i think we'll have to let everybody go because it is like 11 30 our time and we <laughs> usually only film until like 10 30 but there was a lot to uncover and we'll probably do a bit of a like double feature kind of because we did talk about a lot of shining stuff although we kept it light on the shining because again i think most people i hope you've seen it yeah if you haven't oh my god if you haven't, so, why are you listening to this episode? Because who watches Doctor Sleep without seeing The Shining? I know, like it's one of those like it is a really good horror movie on its own, but it's also like I don't think you would get anything out of it if you hadn't seen The Shining. You wouldn't be emotionally attached to it. Yeah. Sorry, my glasses were eventually like wearing a mask all day because I have to wear a mask at work, and my glasses like it just makes my ears hurt after a while. And then I was wearing headphones all tonight. It just makes my head hurt. But I must protect my eyes from the blue light of the computer, so yes. I wore them. It's bad. It's very bad for your eyes. 
retinal issues. Like, wear your blue light glasses, y'all. Um, anyways, so we are definitely going to let you guys go. Go watch The Invisible Man 2020. We'll see Woo. you next time. I'm so Bye, tired. Guys. Oh. <laughs> we love you guys. We Peace love Scooby. you. Bye. Peace, Bye, Brittany. Bye, Katie. Have a good, good night. night. Good night. Bye. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Brittany Ray and edited by Katie Dale. All music used is royalty free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.